Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. Um, we're glad you made it because we just realized as we were preparing for today's live stream that we accidentally scheduled it one week later. But um, luckily, StreamYards allows us to do streams early. So um, in any case, welcome. We're glad you could be here and hopefully not too many people got mixed up with the dates. Uh, or the times for that matter, because we also put in the ad that it was Eastern Daylight Time, forgetting that uh, we switched the, uh, the clocks back to Eastern Standard Time last night. But regardless, we see there's a few people um, watching already, so uh, luckily the little mix-ups were not catastrophic by any means. As usual, if you feel inc so inclined to participate in today's discussion, and we're hoping it will be a little bit of a discussion today, uh, we put the links to hop on the chat or hop on the video feed uh, in, the, in the chat, and there it is on screen as well. So you're more than welcome to join in in the conversation. And it's a conversation which was prompted by a number of experiences that we had in the past week, including over the weekend. And it seems that we very often uh, encounter entities and we know why we encounter these entities. We attract them. Like attracts like. And the sad thing is, though, is encountering individuals who don't realize that they're possessed. And for the vast majority of this humanity, that's most people. They have no idea and they have no concept that what they believe to be their free will, what they believe to be their desires or their beliefs, their thought processes, their whatever, are not theirs. They are being imposed on them. And what's more, they don't realize that they are imposing those beliefs and those desires upon others. They are unwitting pawns of the Black Lodge. And that's most of us who 
are not aware, who are not observant of ourselves, who are not cognizant of our egos. And there are levels and levels of so-called possession. For example, not everybody suffers from seizures, right? Not everybody has epilepsy. Not everybody experiences an entity taking them over in such a way where they completely lose all control over themselves. They have no say in the matter whatsoever for however long that seizure lasts. But there are all sorts of different episodes or attacks that people suffer from. Anxiety attacks, panic attacks, people who suffer from schizophrenia, people who suffer from, well, people who launch themselves or rather are launched into fits of rage. All those individuals who suffer with anger management issues. And then there are those who can be completely and totally gripped by fear. Again, that relates to the panic attack and the anxiety attack. But it also relates to individuals who will fawn or freeze. They would just become completely and utterly frozen. And in those moments, they're possessed by fear. Fear is in complete control and dominance of them. Or they fawn, right? We've talked about it uh, several times before. The uh, where someone will become enamored with their oppressor. It's a it's this the complete reversal of the dominance hierarchy. So there are all sorts of versions of this which fall under sort of mundane categories of um, mental illness or psychological conditions that modern psychology are aware of and that they have to treat as a common occurrence. But these are sort of obvious. And in some ways, they're rather extreme. They're rather blunt. It's, on the one hand, it's very easy to dismiss, like the contemporary psychologists do, and say, well, that's just a psychological, that's just a psychological condition. That's just mental illness. We can treat that with drugs and case closed. But to encounter a demon in a way which is not so obvious is far more disconcerting and far more challenging, to say the least. At least if someone is having a panic attack to one extent or another, they 
they have some semblance, they have some relatively clear experience as to what is going on. They're being gripped by fear. They've fallen into a panic. They're, they're panicking. And it's an attack. It's involuntary. It just, it just comes on them and it overwhelms them. There's very little nuance in it all for someone having a panic attack or someone having an anxiety attack or someone having a seizure, an epileptic seizure. That seems sort of straightforward and obvious. Unfortunately, it's interpreted the wrong way by modern psychology and by materialist science and by the doctors. So it's, there's still an element of stealth that the demon is exhibiting there. The demon is not obvious. It's, it's far too easy for the rational mind to dismiss the existence of demons. Because they, you know, they've put individuals like ourselves under MRI machines and EEGs. They scan our brain and they say, oh, look, there's the cause of the seizure. And many people do have seizures because of lesions in the brain or, you know, uh, tumors or, you know, injuries or whatever, you know, there's sorts of disruptions or whatever. However, looking at the transmitter, looking at the transceiver and the activity in the transceiver doesn't tell you about the origin of the signal. It just tells you what's happening in the transceiver. And if there appears to be some damage or some interference, some physical interference with the transceiver, like a lesion or a tumor or some damage or what have you, and they're able to detect that. And they say, oh, well, that's obviously the cause of the seizures. Again, what caused the tumor? What caused the legion? Uh, right? What brought about the injury? Was that injury brought about because of karma? And was the injury traumatic? Did an enti entity enter into the individual through the course of that traumatic experience? These are discussions that unfortunately, you cannot have with modern-day physicians or modern-day psychologists. They will refuse to have this discussion with you. And it's unfortunate because it would be easy to say something like, or conciliatory to say something like, so many of the so-called mental illnesses that people face today are as a result of egos. But in truth, all, 100% of humanity's suffering is caused by egos. 100%. There is no suffering that humanity faces that is not a result of ego. And it doesn't matter what circumstance that you can bring forth, how we react to that circumstance is a product of ego. It's a product of our demons. And those demons 
there is a gradient of power and strength to those demons that runs the entire gambit. And so when we talk about demons, obviously we're talking about egos and their sort of simplest expression. Fear, lust, greed, pride, gluttony, etc. But what about more sophisticated, more elaborated, other, i.e. awakened demons? More powerful, powerful, complex demons. Ones that have a more complex agenda than simply fear, for example, can only fear. Fear fears. That's what fear does. And fear desires comfort and security, and fear wants control. Those are two sides of the same coin, but those are all part of the program of fear, and it's like an algorithm, just a mechanical algorithm. But take a bunch of different algorithms like this and organize them into an entity, and you get something that begins to resemble the Terminator. Now, we call it the Terminator. If you've seen the movies, preferably the first one, then you will know that as a mechanical entity, it's an artificial intelligence, but it's a mechanical entity, and it's programmed to do one thing and one thing alone. And it pursues that goal, that program, relentlessly. It is, comp- it is completely without compassion. It is, to- it is totally cold-hearted. It doesn't have a heart. It's a machine. This is how we need to understand on a very fundamental level what we're dealing with. Like in The Terminator, Kyle Reese says, it cannot be reasoned with. It cannot be bargained with. Then it will not stop. But clearly, if you've ever encountered a demon, and we don't necessarily mean in the astral plane, because demons in the astral plane, sort of, if you see them as they are, then you very much see the stuff of horror films. But if you encounter a demon that's in disguise, much like the Terminator is a machine that's covered with human flesh, and it's sort of difficult to spot, it's a cybernetic organism, it's a cyborg. But its behavior and everything kind of gives it away. The better artificial intelligence allegory for demons are the agents from the Matrix, especially Agent Smith, because there you have a character, a persona. It's still an artificial intelligence, but clearly it's an artificial intelligence that has an agenda and has an ability to behave in ways which are far more sophisticated, far more 
nuanced, far more subtle. And this is where the problems really start to arise for us and for everyone, frankly. Because now we begin to shift out of that simple AI mechanistic nature of ego, of demons, and we shift over into the classical archetype of the vampire. Now, since their inception in literature and in film, vampires have been depicted as suave and charming and sophisticated and intelligent. They are often handsome or beautiful. And the vampire allegory symbology is so relevant and so important because the, the vampire encapsulates the parasitic nature of demons, the parasitic nature of egos. They want our consciousness. They want to hypnotize us, seduce us. And of course, they want our sexual energy, which is in our, in our blood. It's, it's our prana. It's a sexual force. It's, it's prana in our blood. And that's why vampires suck blood. That's what they're looking for. That's what egos want. That's what they feed on. But they also seduce and hypnotize us. They also ensnare and entrap our consciousness. And they do so because even the Black Lodge, to one degree or another, has to abide by the law of free will. Now, there is a limit to which they abide by that law. And that limit is usually determined by the level or the power of the demon. Because clearly, individuals who are possessed by demons in a serious way, they essentially lose all free will. Uh, these are individuals like psychopaths, uh, mass murderers, uh, serial killers. These individuals are, are wholly taken over. And they are, or individuals in, in psychiatric wards who are dangerous, psychotics, they're wholly possessed. They're wholly taken over by demons. They don't really have any free will. If it's at all possible, and that's why um, psychotics, for instance, one of the uh, defining aspects of psychotics is their total lack of empathy. And this is a clue, as we said before. So this is where these two uh, allegories, these two symbols are so important to keep in our, in our mind. Is that the Terminator doesn't have a heart. It can't feel anything. It can't feel empathy. Egos cannot feel 
They can only feel what their constituent aspects are. Demons, demons can only experience what they are. They're mechanical constructs. They're, they're, they're entities that are constituted by the, the individual egos which, which, which they have awakened through. So fear, lust, gluttony, greed, anger, these are the only ex experiences that a demon knows. And of course, the fantasies that it can generate in order to, to exercise, to play out its programming. So it really is when we're encountering someone who's possessed, one of the ways in which we are able to recognize what we are dealing with is by observing a very automatic, mechanical aspect to their behavior. Usually, it's very reactive, but not always. But there is something that is perhaps we could say predictable about how they react, the way in which they react. But even that is not always 100% the case. And it's really a question of, again, the level of the demon that we're dealing with here. It's sophistication. It's ability to construct what appears to be a fully formed and fully realized and uh, true human being, like a, a being with a soul, in other words. And this is something that very powerful demons can do, for example, in the astral plane. They can appear to, to us while we're traveling in the astral plane, and they can appear to us as angels or archangels or masters. And they can appear to us with as resplendent beings of light. And how this is actually taking place is a worthwhile topic to dwell on for just a moment. Because a demon is what it is. On the astral plane, which is the emotional plane and the mental plane, a demon can only appear to us in our own mind, in our own experience of that plane. Now, at our level, we can't be sure that we're in the solar astral plane. We could be in the lunar astral plane. 
And just as our egos and our ego mind constructs fantasies for us when we dream, it doesn't take much for a demon to be able to construct a fantasy that we are encountering a resplendent being, a resplendent angel. The demon is doing that by manipulating our own mind, our own ego mind. It is a manipulation. It is a kind of possession. And the reason why a demon would do this, of course, is to seduce us, to hypnotize us. And how does it hypnotize us? How does it seduce us? Well, by telling us what we want to hear, first of all. It doesn't take much. Be honest with yourself. If you're traveling in the astral plane, and all of a sudden the archangel Mikael shows up, and he says, oh, my, my child, my, uh, my Gnostic initiate, my whatever, you know, you are here and I've appeared to you and I've decided that you are going to be my vehicle, my vessel, and you are going to send my message and you are going to spread my message uh, through the, you know, around the world. And I command you to channel my words. And I will show you the way to, to do that. Now, perhaps you would be have, you know, perhaps you'd have the intuition, perhaps you would have the, uh, the good sense to question what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. Perhaps you've studied, perhaps you've listened to this live stream before, perhaps you know that channeling is a spiritual crime. And you know that no angel, no master, whatever, uh, come to you out of the blue and say, you know, I'm, I want you to be my channel. Because that's a spiritual crime. Because channeling requires for that entity to possess you. So these people who do automatic writing, and it's just like something else is moving their hand because they've done whatever they've done. They've encountered an entity and that entity has said, you know, I'm going to send this message to the world through you. And channeling is that process where that entity possesses them. This is an extreme example, but it's not, it's not uncommon. In fact, go to the New Age bookstore, or sorry, go to the New Age section of any bookstore and randomly grab a book and either on the front cover, or sorry, the back cover or the inside of the front cover or perhaps in the introduction, you know, scan it where the author tells you about this book or how this book was written. You will have no problem finding books where the author freely admits that the content of the book was channeled. And there are, there are, forget hundreds, thousands 
of works like this, books and other material that has been channeled in this way. But you see, these entities, they have to get your consent in this particular case because they're not a part of you as such. They're not a part of your karma. They're not integrated with you. So they have to get your consent before they can possess you. Other entities do not, and our own egos obviously do not. Our own egos don't. Our own egos are a part of our own karma. So they are a part of us. They are integrated into us. That's why they're so difficult to get rid of. But even then, our fear, our anger, our lust, our pride, our greed, our gluttony, For most of us, if we observe ourselves, we don't have to act on what our egos want us to do. There's still that moment of seduction. Now, it can be very powerful, like for example, in the case of lust or in the case of anger or fear. They can be very powerful and immediate, striking, and and we find ourselves in the grips of these demons in the moment. Very quickly, we can go, we can go from, for example, uh, fear to anger very quickly, or we can fall, you know, into into lust or very quickly but if we observe ourselves there's always there's always an opportunity to 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 pull back to exercise willpower in other words to exercise our will and say no it's a very seductive it's a very um powerful and seductive offer for me to fly off the handle. But I, I choose a different path. I choose a different way. And that's not always easy to do. It all depends. It depends on many factors, in fact. It depends on our karma. It depends on how many egos we have, it depends on which egos are being stimulated or triggered at the moment and how they are being triggered, with how much force and intensity they're being triggered. And yet, that reaction, that triggering, and what is taking place inside of us is still a moment of temptation, a moment of seduction. The ego is reacting a certain way. The only way it can react in accordance with its own programming, in accordance with what it is, fear fears. Rage rages. 
lust lusts. It's it's self-evident. So in the moment between the reaction and our subsequent action, we have that just split second, sometimes less. And that's why it's so important for us to constantly be in observation of ourselves. But let's, again, step back and say, well, what happens when we meet somebody else? And somebody else is impressing themselves upon us in some way. What are the signs? that the individual that we're dealing with is possessed in that moment. Either wittingly, willingly, or completely oblivious. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it does. But sometimes it doesn't. Because if they're completely possessed and they're completely oblivious, then the demon's in control anyway. So you're still in that moment facing a demon. And after the fact, the person might snap out of it and go, oh, I don't know what possessed me. And that's why we have that expression. I don't know what came over me. That's why we have these expressions. There are a number of telltale signs and clues that we can be observant of. And we want to uh, share with you an exchange that we had with an individual who will remain completely anonymous. But it's an exchange that we had over the internet, um, <clears throat> over Facebook Messenger. So, Although we were commenting on, or they were commenting on something we had posted, or vice versa, and we got into a, uh, into a thread, and then this individual came and, and started um, asking us on Messenger. The one of the first things that they asked was, "Oh, by the way, if you see the word enter, that just—I don't know why I did this when we uh, cut and pasted it out of Messenger, but all of the times they pressed enter shows up as enter." They—they they began by saying, "You know, please tell me your qualifications." It's very telling when you're dealing with someone on matters of spirituality, and. 
they want to know what your qualifications are. What are your worldly qualifications uh, to discuss matters of spirituality? It's an interesting question. As if there were some sort of academy or university or degree which qualifies you. But that's the first thing they, you know, and then she was, they were like, why do you think you know? And before even giving us a chance to reply, they came to a conclusion, you are an imposter. The rhetorical question presented in this way, right? They're saying, well, I want to know what your qualifications are, but no, they don't really want to know. I want to know why you think you know these things, right? But they don't really want to know. They've already made up your, their mind. You're an imposter. They don't care about They don't want to know you. They don't want to hear your qualifications. Even if you had any, they don't want to know. Then came the, uh, the accusation, right? You write nothing. You have no original ideas. You just share others' ideas. To which, you know, we shared five different links to original things that we, uh, we, uh, we posted. Their reply to that is, I'm looking for your ideas. <laughs> if your third eye is open, you should have your own ideas. And then again, you just share others' ideas. One of the things, it's like, it's almost as if we were chatting with a chatbot. Uh, hopefully, you know what a chatbot is, like an AI algorithm that pretends to be human. It doesn't matter how you respond. It's, it's following this program. It's following this set algorithm. It has a goal. The chatbot wants to get you to click on a link, for example, or get you to enter your credit card number or get you to do whatever it wants you to do. It has a set goal and there's a formula that it follows. So when you encounter someone who's asking you rhetorical questions and it doesn't matter how you answer, they don't really hear what you're saying. They don't want to hear what you're saying. They didn't ask the question to be convinced. They asked the question as a process of convincing themselves. They are in that moment being hypnotized. What's coming out of their mouth is just their thought process. They're not interested 
in what you have to say. They're not even interested in waiting for their turn to talk. They'll ask questions and not even give you a chance to answer. This is someone who has already passed a judgment. And now it is for them a process of of executing of ex- of execution they're what they're saying is is like they're yeah they're possessed but they're hypnotizing themselves they're they have to reinforce their own sense of identity their own sense of of who or what they are The best defense is a good offense. But how do demons go on the offensive? This is the what we're trying to get at here. Very soon after in the exchange, this we were they come up with this. Why are you so fear-based? What is up with all of your dogma? And what we did was we mapped out how, for them, how they were demanding to hear our original ideas, which we shared with them. And they replied, what's with all your dogma? In other words, it's classic to- toxic passive-aggressive behavior. Gaslighting. So accusing us of something, and then we respond to that, they, they jump on the response as being somehow negative in some way. So they elicit a response through an accusation. And when they receive any response... They can jump on that response as, in this case, by calling it dogma and by calling it fear-based. Again, by just passing judgment. And then, you know, saying a few more comments and saying, you missed the point of the voodoo you sent. You do not even understand your own propaganda. Now it's propaganda. Anything that we say is propaganda. Anything that they say is the truth. And by the way, this individual uh, was posting things about the tree of life being, apparently this individual is some kind of scientist, materialist scientist, and how the tree of life are synapses in the brain or something they were showing diagrams of and so on. Um, This individual, the reason why we caught they caught our attention um, and we caught their eye as we were talking about white Tantra and we shared the uh, <clears throat> sex, the secret gate to Eden video. And they watched the video until the point where the couple goes on a long journey, the tradition of the honeymoon. And she says, you see the video says they had to travel a far distance. In other words, pull the orgasm all the way up. This individual was 
was promoting black tantra she was promoting the harnessing of the orgasm and sending the orgasmic energy up the spinal column to the crown chakra in other words just like the red cap drukpas of the himalayas do of tibet it's a black magic sect that reabsorbed the sexual energy after the orgasm and they believe that they can harness the sexual energy um, after the orgasm and that's what this individual was spreading this information and um and they were saying how it's so powerful and that you can bypass years of meditation by doing this etc 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 and they get into other things here um here is where they accused us of being the black lodge when you want to judge me for your guilt you sound like a black lodge um and then she said i'm trying to wake you up uh And then soon here, right around, she said, okay, here's orgasm is the ultimate love. It's why gods use bodies. And then um, yeah, I talk to God for truth, not to read links. You sound like a religious zealot, not a freer of humanity. And then they blocked us. This individual, if this individual has been practicing what they've been preaching, uh, it is clear why they were reacting the way they were to discussions of white tantra and why they were reacting the way they were to the uh, secret gate to Eden. And when you see someone who is confronted with the truth start throwing in your face Things like, you are the Black Lodge, you are a religious zealot, you are this, you are that. That's when you know that you're dealing with someone who is completely unholy in their ego and possibly possessed, possibly awakening as a demon. Because, as we've mentioned before, to the Black Lodge, the White Lodge are demons. Whenever you find yourself being accused of being a demon, ninety-nine point nine 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 times out of a hundred, your accuser is possessed by a demon in that moment. Now, the exception to that rule is if you are in that moment possessed by a demon 
and you are acting because you are possessed, then the person accusing you of being a demon may be speaking from their higher self. But if you are speaking the truth, and if you are calm, and you are, rela you are relaxed, you are focused, you are connected with your innermost, you are speaking or sharing with them with honesty and with compassion, with no agenda per se, you don't want anything out of the exchange. And by you being your being who you are and being honest and sharing the truth, if people attack you for that, they want to shoot the messenger or they brand you, they tar and feather you, right? They want to excommunicate you. They want to, they want to label you as this, that, or the other thing. Religious zealot or demon or whatever. That's when you know that you are casting pearls before swine. That you're dealing with someone who's possessed by the profane. And that's why they are reacting in such a profane way. And they are painting you with profanities. Because your very presence is an anathema to their existence. And the best defense is a good offense. This, though, is also... pretty obvious these are still we're talking about very low level low levels of the black lodge when we discussed encountering a demon in the astral plane which presents itself as a resplendent angel then we're dealing with something a little bit more serious or a lot more serious. And in life, the demons that we really have to watch out for are the ones who they are, they are far more calm. They're far more in control of themselves, of their faculties. Oh. There's Azazio. Hi, oh, how hello. are you? Well, it's all right. How long have you been waiting? Uh, like one minute or two, perhaps. Oh, okay. So okay. not so long. All right. Not so long. Uh, it's a good it's a good time then to just take a quick break because uh, Benjamin has some comments here. Mm -hmm. He says even Jesus was accused by the Pharisees. 
that he works with uh, Beelzebub. And uh, Jesus is accused of working with Beelzebub, uh, 22. Then some people brought Yeshua, a man possessed by a demon. The demon made the man blind <clears throat> and unable to talk. Yeshua cured him so that he could talk and see. The crowds were all amazed and said, Can this man be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man can force demons out of people only with the help of Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Since Yeshua knew... Uh, what they were thinking, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not last. If Satan forces Satan out, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom last? If I force demons out of people with the help of Beelzebub, who helps your followers force them out? That's why they will be your judges. But if I force demons out with the help of God's Spirit, then the kingdom of God dot 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 <laughs> and the kingdom of God is doing the work, right? Again, that's that's another interesting this is an interesting passage that Benjamin brings up here because The, there is no limit to how clever and how subtle uh, the demon's argument can be. Well, anyway, he, he, he finishes the, uh, the, the passage here. So, um, but if, so if I force demons out with the help of God's spirit, then the kingdom of God has come to you. How can anyone go into a strong man's house and steal his property? First, he must tie up the strong man. Then he can go through his house and steal his property. So this notion that Benjamin's sharing with us that uh, Jesus exercised a demon from someone. And people's response to this was, Ah, well, you look, he must be working with, uh, with Beelzebub. How else could he exercise that demon unless he was working with the master of demons. And this is, again, Jesus' response here and saying, well, you know, you accuse me of that, sure, fine. But, um, but no, no house can stand against itself. No army can stand against itself. So why would Beelzebub help me exercise demons? Then how would how does that help Beelzebub and how does that help the demons if they go around exercising each other? Yeah. <laughs> and then he basically asked, where's your evidence for doing the same in God's spirit? So, yeah. But... But here's the thing, though, is that but his response here, but, you know, I used, but if God's spirit exercises demons, um, in, to, in this day and age, surely, that response wouldn't have gotten him anywhere with that crowd. 
Because if the crowd's already in its ego mind and coming up with rationalizations like that, they're finding just just you're just looking for excuses to paint Jesus as the villain. Yeah. And they're just looking for ways to gaslight him and to paint him as the villain. And if you're dealing with individuals who like the exchange that we shared, that individual has already made up their mind. They they've made up their mind. They know what you need to be. They see you as this thing. You need to be the thing that they believe you to be. Because if they let their guard down, then suddenly their entire comfort and security is shaken, is, is, is on shaky ground. This is, the, this is the nature of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah, and they m might have even worked for several years and hours on their project, so they are basically attached to their own agenda. So, so they are not... They can't, they've... And if someone is wholly possessed, right? A demon cannot, on the even on the field of ideas of, of the battlefield of ideas they cannot give what that um they cannot give quarter they cannot give way they cannot give an inch yeah so they they and yeah i mean sometimes you can just straight out ask them if they have made up their mind because that's all it is really can you guys hear me okay yeah can you hear me okay for whatever reason i just became muted for a second and i don't know why just double checking my um no that's not it yeah, okay. All right. So we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, one of the things that... One of the telltale signs... And let me just get to uh, Benjamin's yeah. finishing up here. The Pharisees, the response of the Pharisees has the same pattern as the one that accuses you. Um, the... The very nature of demons, their modus operandi can be captured by the uh, symbol, the, the allegory, the personification in the cartoon character at the end of the film, The Incredibles. The Disney Pixar movie, The Incredibles, at the end of the movie, there's this machine that comes up out of the ground and out pops this, this villain and he says, I am the underminer. 
I'm always beneath you, but nothing is beneath me. <laughs> and the reason why I don't want to give any credit or credence to The Incredibles 2, where he is the actual main villain of the, of the movie. But suffice it to say that that villain is the embodiment of demons. Because he even comes up out of the ground, right? Demons at the center of the earth, you know, hell beneath our feet and all that stuff. The Black Lodge, its divinely ordained purpose is to make us fall. How do you make a tower fall? And no, it's not by flying planes into it. You can't make a tower fall that way. How do you make a tower fall? How? How do you make any building fall? By shaking the foundations. By going after the foundations. By going after what supports and gives strength. And that's, yeah, exactly, Benjamin, right? You, you destroy the foundations. Right? So, what are our foundations? What are our foundations? You mean like Yesod, the sexual force? Well, okay, that's literally the fourth dimension is called the foundation. Yeah. Electromagnetic energy, sure. That's the foundation of the physical body, sure, yeah. And it's the foundation of the two pillars. Right? So, but yeah, but our, in other words, our innermost being, our, 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 our soul, our metaphysical self, all of our, all of our metaphysical levels and layers of being. Right? So our, our, our vital body, right? The foundation, the fourth dimension, the astral body, the mental body, the causal body, the buddhic body, the atmic body. These are our foundations. Now, the ego can't destroy our foundations, but it can undermine those foundations. It can, it can undermine our foundations. And in a very real sense, if you have a building and it's sitting upon a foundation and that foundation eventually ends and beneath it is just earth, if the ego undermines the foundations, it hollows out the space underneath those foundations, 
and that weakens the earth upon which the foundations are, then the entire building, the entire tower becomes unstable and can then collapse and we fall. This is why that character, the underminer, is such a brilliant esoteric symbol because he's a miner. He's, he's, he's this mole. Yeah. Right? And if, you've, and if you've had moles in your backyard, you know that all of a sudden these giant sinkholes can appear. Right? Yeah. And your entire, like your entire backyard can be like hollow. There can be like two inches of, of, of topsoil and it's all hollowed out underneath. Like if you try walking on it, you'll start like your foot will start falling into all these holes and you'll like, you'll like break your kneecap. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like other ways, other ways that, that we can understand this on the physical level is like when something gets rusted out from the inside, right? Corrosion, corruption. These are all words that express this archetype of something that is being eaten away from within. And so that it eventually collapses in on itself. So like a worm that little, there's a little tiny hole in your apple, right? But then you yeah. cut that apple in half and you, and you, and like three quarters of the apple is gone. This is this little tiny worm got in there and just like ate out the whole apple. Yeah. Or, or a little rust gets in on the engine and then it, it rusts out, you know, the entire inside of the car. The body seems to be okay. But the inside and all of the frame and now the engine and everything else is completely rusted out. Or obviously we talk about corruption in government or in businesses or in something, right? Or in the human body, we can talk about cancer, right? A corruption from the inside and the person can seem perfectly healthy, perfectly normal, right? But meanwhile, secretly... There's this corruption that's spreading inside of them. This, 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 this plague. This, this cancer. It's yeah. eating them away from the inside. And of course, answer, uh, cancer is an energetic disease, which means that corruption is in the foundations. It's in the foundation. It's in the vital body. Yeah. And most likely in the emotional body and in the mental body. These are the four bodies of sin. These are the bodies. That the ego directly can influence and directly can undermine with its parasitic nature, its cancerous uh, nature, but also its seductive and uh, tempting nature. Yeah, like that scene in the Holy Grail where he tries to build a castle in a swamp. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes but the fourth one stood up <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so when you are so the passage that benjamin shared with you 
and the exchange that I shared with you are examples of individuals, their goal is to undermine whoever is speaking the truth. Yeah. Because the truth is a threat. And and so, and just like the underminer says, I'm always beneath you, but nothing is beneath me, meaning there is no trick, tactic, uh, or, or uh, scheme, strategy, and in many ways, there's no, there's no, there's nothing that an ego will not do to succeed in undermining us. It's like the Terminator, right? What, what rules does the Terminator have? When does the Terminator say, oh, well, you know, oh, I uh, can't do that. No, it, do it doesn't care. It, it, it simply has its program. I must do this. I must kill Sarah Connor. And egos are the same. I must make him fall. I must get him, I must get control over him. I must get his consciousness, I must get his energy. I must get him to submit. I must get him to, uh, you know, give himself or give herself. Hello, Blake. How are you? Oh, Blake came and he went. <laughs> okay. Um, so, if you now let's look then at things like politics or let's look at debates intellectual debates have you ever noticed that in politics or in debate the it's very rare that you see individuals who are just interested in presenting their side of the argument yeah it's always very important for them to shoot down the other person's point of view or the other person's argument they must blow holes in it they must undermine their opponent When someone's speaking the truth, they don't have to do that. It puts them in a, at a disadvantage in the world that we're in because people expect that. People And people want to hear that because they're possessed by ego. Ego wants to see undermining taking place they want to see people being torn down remember that egos have absolutely no love for one another 
Well, yeah, that's true. Okay. They are in a constant battle for a dominance hierarchy battle inside of our psyche and amongst themselves. Yeah. They're constantly fighting amongst each other. Again, it's their, it's their modus operandi to be at the top, to get into the driver's seat, to get into the uh, place of, to be in the position of control, to be into the, to be in a position where they can feed, where they can be the alpha. Yeah. Where they can be, have the first choice of mates, right? In a, um, in a uh, nature uh, context. Yeah. But all of that exists. And that's why we say the ego works for mechanical nature, because that's its function in mechanical nature to make animals behave that way. Yeah. That's why so many animals have that ferocity when it comes to things like, okay, when it's time to, you know, when it's time to eat or when it's time to mate or when it's time to decide the governance hierarchy of the, of the pack or of the pride, well, now those egos play themselves out. But in us, there that's always taking place. And so egos are constantly trying to undermine one another. That's how you can have it where you can have a panel, uh, a political debate. So you can have, I don't know how many candidates, like when uh, one recent u.s uh, election cycle in um in the preliminary in the primaries or whatever they're called they had like something like what 20 candidates for president right yeah um and then they were all debating one another each and every single one of them were coming from a place of ego each and every one of them wanted to be president but each and every one of them wanted the leadership of their political party and each and every one of them were ruthless and cutthroat and would go to any length in that debate to undermine their opponents. What is that? Does that sound like the innermost being? <laughs> does that no. sound like, does that sound <laughs> like you know, you know the Christians ask what would Jesus do? It's funny because Christians love to, you know, to support the Republican Party. But then you see that you watch the Republican debates. You watch what their so-called leaders or, you know, or, or uh, prospective leaders and how they behave. You know, you got to ask yourself, would Jesus do any of this? <laughs> <laughs> no. Would Jesus talk like this? Would Jesus stay like? No. Well, if it's not Jesus, who is it? What is it? And the answer is... It's demons. It That's reminds me of that uh, scene from Monty Python as well, uh, like the Royal Society of putting things on, on top on, of other things. Yes, put, yes, the Royal Society of putting things on top of other things. <laughs> um, but you see the point. Yeah. You see the point that 
it is not uh, okay so let's take another example <clears throat> um, let's look at the example of a Harvey Weinstein or any other sexual predator now Harvey Weinstein was in a position where he was in a position of power and he held the keys to the future of many a young actress. He could make or break actresses' careers. In fact, he could basically guarantee an actress an Oscar, like Gwyneth Paltrow, for example, for, um, for Shakespeare in Love, which was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Because Harvey Weinstein was a notorious, notorious campaigner and lobbyist of the Academy of Motion Pictures. The Weinstein company, the Weinstein brothers had, had perfected the art of whining and dining and schmoozing and basically buying their Oscars. Now, did they, did they make good movies? Yeah, they made very good movies. There's no question the movies were at least deserving of being in the running. Um, but because of that, he could, you know, his movies were, their movies were overwhelmingly nominated, for example. And, um, so he had all this power and he held that out as a carrot where young actresses would, of course, if he invited them to have a private meeting with him, what young actress would say no to that? He's one of the most powerful men in all of Hollywood. And they knew his reputation, they knew his, the reputation of his company and the reputation of his films and the reputation of other actresses that have, that had worked on their films. And even if they had heard about his other reputation of being a sexual predator, Maybe even then they, they, they put it on the balance scale and say, well, you know, it's, it's just a business meeting. Maybe he doesn't want anything to do with me. I, I, I should at least go and give it a shot. And, and you know, and if, it, and, and, if, and if he tries anything funny, I can always like walk out the door. But regardless, many a young actress uh, was seduced by his power and his influence and what he promised, what he promised he could deliver. Moon Azabi says, hello, soul tribe. Hello, Moon Azabi. Glad you could join us. So one way in which demons operate and that you know you're dealing with a demon is when they dangle a golden carrot in front of you. This is called, essentially, if we want to use the terminology of technology, and if we say demons are like malware, or computer viruses, or any other parasite, but in the computer world, 
malware. There's a specific type of malware called ransomware. And just as the name suggests, it is an entity that takes over a computer system and locks it. And essentially says, you do this for, you do ABC or else you're never getting your data back. You're never getting your system back. You're never getting your network back. You're never getting your computer back. Or Harvey Weinstein telling a young actress, you're never going to have a career in Hollywood. Because that's, you see, what attracted them what what gets the young actress into the hotel room is Harvey Weinstein's status but what gets them to ultimately give in to the sexual predators demands and desires is not just, I can get you an Oscar and I can get you into an Oscar-nominated movie or, or a movie that wins Best Picture. See, that uh, sexual predator, that's just, that's too weak. Sexual predator doesn't operate that way. That just leaves too much to chance. That woman can still say, you know what? I'm not a whore. Sure, I'd love to get an Oscar, but I'm not going to whore myself for an Oscar. And they could get up and walk away. But when they're in that room and having that conversation, and he starts making advances, right? There are levels. First, it's what I can offer you. And then it's, yeah, but when that, then it's what I can do to your career. If you don't appease me, now it becomes ransomware. Whereas before, it was an exchange of a John and an actress turned whore. But that can very quickly degenerate into a, into a, a, a ransom situation where I hold the future of your career in my hands. And unless you please me, you are never going to work again in this industry. And coming from Harvey Weinstein to a young actress, that's something that a young actress would take very seriously as a very credible threat. That's not an empty threat. That's not empty talk. And there may indeed be women actresses who's had very promising careers and then for some strange reason they completely fell off the map and nobody would cast her anymore and probably there are cases where that was the case because they refused harvey weinstein this happens between people obviously where they can they will dangle a carrot to get you in the door 
And then they will dangle that carrot, dangle that carrot, dangle that carrot. And if you don't give in, the next level is they start making threats. But this can also happen inside of us in our own psychology. Hello, sir. Welcome. Hello. Sorry about before I got a bit of stage fright. Continue with what you were discussing. Not at all. Not at all. Am I to gather you're, uh, you're tuning in from Australia? Uh, yes. Uh, you okay. can tell by the accent. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, so we look, observe. We, this, we can only really know this by observing ourselves, frankly. Um, cases where uh, the demon comes to us and dangles some kind of carrot. Cases where... Oh, um, Blake, I'm going to ask you to turn your volume down or switch the headphones. Carrot. Cases where... Um, Sorry about that. No, that's I'll all right. I'll come back and get some headphones. Yeah, okay, great. Um, we're trying to... Off the top of our head, nothing's popping. Um, Azaziel, is anything coming to mind uh, where you've where you've experienced this 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 threat type um, or uh, it's not just a threat it's um, an ultimatum right it's really it's really the word we're looking for here is ultimatum where one an ego that we have will first try to seduce us but then if we don't give in to that seduction then it turns it it, it turns up the um, the ante and it it switches to ultimatum yeah. where do this do this or else can you think of anything that uh, you've experienced internally well to give an example of this well there are many things like just to have things paying your bills, for example, that you must have some kind of a job or something like that just to make a living. And um, while that is true, um, it's also like we shouldn't be forced to do things that we feel aren't right in a certain way. Uh, and by society standards, I guess we are in some way forced to do it anyway. I mean, of course, I have certain cases of lust where this has been the case as well. But <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what your comments uh, brought to our mind was uh, fear. Yeah. And that fear very often uses the ultimatum and the threat as a means of uh, getting us to act in certain ways. And in the case of, so it's usually a desire for comfort and security and the threat of losing that comfort and security. Yep. So, um, 
So in many cases, it's like that. Okay, well, I can't do this. I have to go do this other thing. Why? Well, because I don't want to, you know, you, you don't, or I don't want to give up my comfort and security. Or I don't want to risk losing A, B, C, X, Y, Z. So that's why so many people choose the safe path in life. Yeah. And really, that's an ultimatum type psychological process. It's taking place. Yeah. And you can see how this type of coercion. These are these are these are the words that we need to because words have power and meaning. And we can hold on to them and grab onto them and recognize the manipulation and how this manipulation takes place. Anything that we've seen in any sort of spy movie or any type of, you know, espionage or any type of film where we see a character that's being imposed on and being made to do something that they don't want to do under threat, under coercion. They're being coerced into acting in ways that, that, that goes against their principles, their ethics. Um, you know, people are being coerced into betraying their country, for example, people being coerced into betraying their family. Um, that coercion, that same process can be taking place uh, inside of our own psychology. Yeah. Welcome, welcome uh, back, Blake. Can you have a few words? No worries. I hope that won't happen again. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, no echoes. All right, perfect. Um, Benjamin says, the demon speaks to us in a feminine way to make us all to make us fall. Then if we don't submit, the masculine aspect shows up and yells at us either for entrapping us or uh, us escaping this, the, the demon. Okay, now this is very interesting. Mm. Benjamin, I'm glad that you brought this up. It's interesting that you framed it in the feminine and masculine. Um, but regardless, if you can think about it in those ways, or you can visualize it that way, that the or the other way that we can understand what Benjamin is, is sharing with us here is the good cop, bad cop. Now, surely we've all seen <laughs> some form of police drama yeah. where they're interrogating a suspect. And we all are familiar with the good cop, bad cop routine, as the Joker calls it in The Dark Knight. And that's where one demon comes and seduces us and promises us this and that and the other thing. And it's all like, it's a seduction and it's yeah. warm and it's fuzzy and it's this and it's that. Right. And whether we give into it or we resist it, it doesn't matter. The bad cop is waiting in the wings to come in and slam us for it. It's, it's this, the, ins the insidious insanity of being double teamed in this way. 
You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And if you've, if you've observed yourself and witnessed yourself how, for example, gluttony and pride, or gluttony and shame, shame is probably, we could say shame is the universal bad cop. Or, uh, but shame is pride. There, shame and pride are two sides of the same coin. We either, we either love ourselves too much or we hate ourselves. It's the same thing, right? They're the two extremes. As uh, uh, Hermes Trismegistus says, all, ex all opposite extremes are the same thing and they're reconciled. Um, so, so gluttony, right? Have that bag of Doritos. Go ahead. You know you want it. <laughs> Right, yeah. a two hundred gram bag of Doritos, and you and you sit back and you're watching a movie, and poof, you polish off a two hundred bag uh, gram. I think you got muted again. Yep. Yep. It's okay. Oh, uh, there we go. This is uh. Well, that's interesting. So you, okay, so you guys have to let me know when that happens. Um. So. This so we were talking about you're you're getting seduced by the 200 gram bag of Doritos, and and you and you're watching a movie and you you, you polish off this 200 bag uh 200 gram bag of Doritos, and the second you finish it, boom! In comes the bad cop, the shame, and it's oh my god, why did I eat that 200 gram bag yeah. of Doritos? Oh no, oh no, oh. Sweet, uh, the summer's coming. Beach season is coming. Oh, I'm going to look like a whale. The children are going to be rolling me back into the water. I mean, like... Since you've made me aware of this, I've been trying to follow it with myself, and I'll notice that too. Like, especially gluttony. If if you indulge with that one, soon one of the others will quickly jump in in succession afterwards. But if you hold them at the precipice, it's a lot. Seems a lot easier if you don't give in to one. If you give in to one, then it can be a quick cascade. So, and, um, and it could also be, it's, and remember that one of the reasons why this is taking place is, remember that dominance hierarchy we were talking about? The uh, muted again. Okay, this is really weird. I don't know what's I don't know what's what's doing that anyway. But we're, we'll 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 work through it anyway. Um, I finally thought I'd gotten over this microphone problem, and now this this pops up. So I don't know what's what's going on. You know, it could be. It might be that my um, uh, what do you call it? My um, my VPN is interfering. But we've never had this problem in the past. It could also be that we've got more people. Uh, on the screen now and for some reason StreamYards is being um silly regardless um so we were talking about the dominance hierarchy the game of thrones and while you are while you are possessed by gluttony so realize i'm going to keep using that bag of doritos example that's a good one yeah mostly because i think that everybody's in the same boat there Muted again for some reason. Um, if you eat one, you sort of you sort of can't stop, right? And um, 
so while you're in that mode of uh, being possessed by gluttony, gluttony is what's at the top of that hierarchy, of that dominant hierarchy. Gluttony is dominant. The second you run out of Doritos, there's nothing left for gluttony to, there's no, there, gluttony has nothing left to work with. So, and gluttony has been satisfied. You just ate a 200 gram bag of Doritos. Gluttony's happy, right? It's, 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 it's momentarily satisfied. So it lets its guard down. So another ego comes and dethrones gluttony and takes advantage of the opportunity, pounces on this opportunity and shame can be that, of course, understanding that shame is pride, but also anger. Have you sat there beating yourself up because you just ate a bag of Doritos? And you're like, you're like, ah, oh, you become angry with yourself? It's possible. It could also be that you suddenly become really sleepy or really lazy, really lethargic. It's just maybe laziness has now taken over, taken advantage of this this explosion of carbs and MSG and all the other chemicals that are in that flavoring stuff that caused the stimulus and now is going to take advantage of the crash and that ego is going, that ego of laziness is going to ride that crash down the other side and say oh i don't feel like doing anything now i don't feel like doing any work now that's also a direct um reaction to the negative energy that we put into our bodies whenever we eat any sort of high, highly um, processed food, ultra-processed food, it's called. So we eat any kind of ultra-processed food, we're taking this mechanical, uh, industrial negative energy into our bodies. Well, that's just, that's just food for egos in general. But if it's if, if it's the type of uh, also like this energy vacuum that sucks the life out of us, laziness loves to ride that, that, uh, it loves to ride that wave of negative energy, of lethargy, of, and of course our, our hormones and everything, our physical body, everything is, everything is working against us at that point. So that's when laziness loves to pounce on us. Benjamin uh, has an example here. One example from my own experience was during COVID when people were coerced to getting the Jabber, Jabberwocky. That's <laughs> the Jabberwocky uh, because uh, there were both threats and, quote, sweet promises coming from the mouths of politicians and media. Seems like a modus operandi gone wrong. Yeah, so... Okay, so there's another good example of coercion and, and fear, fear-based coercion. Um, but also this uh, interesting thing that he mentions here about sweet promises. Um, <clears throat> it is interesting is used. It is interesting is used that because now a lot of people that have been conned by Thea are getting angry and the politicians are trying to say, oh, we've got to forgive 
You've got to yeah. forgive all everyone. So that's interesting as well. Now, uh, they're calling it uh, an amnesty. That's it. An amnesty for, for all of the, the COVID uh, people who are, who are um, it's, it's, So let's look at that and, and let's see if we can peel back the layers of the COVID stuff and see if we can't isolate the archetype of what that is. And let's usually for, for us anyway, when we're looking for archetypes, usually we try to find some kind of character in cinema or literature or mythology um that embodies that where can you think of a villainous kind of a character that when his plot goes awry <laughs> that he turns around and he sort of like throws himself at the mercy of the heroes Right, and he all of a sudden he's like he wants to be their best friend, like, <laughs> oh no no I did it I did it all for you know like I did it all for you I did it because that's that's really what we're talking about like oh mercy mercy show me mercy I was I only had your best interests at heart. I can't think of any offhand, but that actually happens a lot in modern cinema. They try and turn the the villain into you know like the good person at the end of the story and just completely wax it all out. That's 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 quite a new theme as well. Well, that's yeah, and the reason why we're we're bringing that up and why uh, you mentioned that in in contemporary cinema is because contemporary cinema is very uh, postmodern. It's all very uh, um, a critical race theory and and all that stuff, right? Social justice and all that, and that that audience um, is an audience of victims, of victimhood. And that they, their winning formula is to play the victim. By someone saying, I want amnesty, or I think I deserve amnesty, that's basically saying, hey, I'm a victim of this COVID thing, just like everybody else. Right? I was just, you know, I, I was, you know, Doc, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Fauci and all the doctors and all the experts and speaking of doctors, it's right? like Dr. Evil. It's like Dr. Evil in the third Austin Powers that you find out he's actually Austin's brother and then they're all, it's all a happy ending. But then there's a new bad guy. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see I didn't see it. So oh, I well, didn't see it. Yeah. I, uh, I, that's I just one that's sprung to mind. I, uh, I checked out after the second film. I think I watched five minutes of the of the uh, of the third one and said, "That's it, I'm out." <laughs> but um, um, there is there is a character that's that's coming to mind, but the name of the character is not coming to mind, so I'm not going to try to fumble through it. Um, <clears throat> Oh yes, the character is Scar, Scar from The Lion King, mm. uh. 
And it's remember at the end when Scar is uh, is uh, facing off against uh, Mufasa or not Mufasa against Simba, and uh, and Scar Scar realizes that he's that he's beat, and all of a sudden he switches tactics. And all of a sudden, Scar says, no, no, Simba, you've got it all wrong. It was the hyenas the whole time. It was their idea. They, they made me do it. And, and they're, they're the real enemy, right? And Simba decides, you know what? Turnaround's fair play. And I'm going to do the same thing you did to me. Run, Scar, run and never come back. I'm going to excommunicate you. You're, you're banned. You're banished from Pride Rock. You're banished from the kingdom. And then, and then, um, <clears throat> in the course of events, Scar runs into uh, uh, Shanzi, Banzai, and Ed. Those are the three hyenas. And uh, and he's like, "Oh, my friends!" <laughs> and he tries to appeal to the hyenas, and 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 like, Shanzi's like, "Friends? I thought we was the enemy." <laughs> <laughs> And and of course the hyenas the hyenas eat scar. <clears throat> but that scar is is such a wonderful villain. And as ben, uh, as uh, Benjamin mentioned here, uh, <clears throat> scar they the way Jeremy Irons played. Scar voiced him, and the way the animators drew and animated Scar, he was he's a, a very effeminate villain. He's he's just they just did it that way for whatever reason, but it works. It works. And it's there's something about that character and that archetype and the way in which It just it just works for whatever reason. Because you're right, because he's skin, he's skinnier than Mufasa, and he's slight. Like yeah, you're right. His whole demeanor, is, yeah, his whole demeanor. It's a big package. You're muted again. Hmm. Might be that when you go silent for some seconds, that it becomes muted. It's possible. I think it's just random. You just have to tell me. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it, it tells me on the screen here, but I'm looking into the camera, so I'm not really paying attention to it. If I look at the screen, that I'll know. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's a way I can move things around that I could that this would be uh, more in my face. But anyway, um, but there's but there's a thing though that with Scar is that he does have this masculine side that comes out. But only in these rare instances, right? When 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 the real like the roaring lion comes out, and then all of a sudden he he switches from the seducer to this to the um, to the brute. Um, but yeah, but this is again then when you are dealing with a demon, okay. A demon will 
always, always, always be acting out of self-interest. It's very, very simple in this sense. Always ask yourself, and there's a line from Game of Thrones where Littlefinger is talking to Sansa. And Littlefinger is explaining to Sansa his strategy for winning the Game of Thrones. And he says, everybody I meet, I always try to imagine what they, what they want. I always try to de determine what, what it is that they want and what is the worst possible thing that they could do to me in, in pursuit of, of what they want. And I always proceed on that assumption, on that basis. And that is how, and that way, my opponents can never surprise me because I've always imagined the worst possible thing. So that even if they do the worst possible thing, I'm, I'm, I'm already ready for it. Yeah. Now, that may seem like a very cynical way to go through life. And we're not suggesting that that is how you go through life. Rather, not fantasizing or not speculating, but rather using your conscious awareness in the moment when you're dealing with an individual or you're dealing with an entity. Always be listening for what is in it for them. What are they getting out of this? So when someone is telling you something, offering you something, promising you something, they're dangling carrots in front of you, they're showing you this or telling you this or they're telling you that, you can ask yourself, why are they telling me this? What's in it for them? Now, the mind flips this around and says, well, I want to know what's in it for them and why maybe this is all lies, this is all bullshit, because if there's nothing in it for them, then this can't be legit. There must be something in it for them. This is how business people think. Mm. But the consciousness on matters of spirituality, the consciousness will be listening for what's in it for them because if there's something in it for them and it's a matter of spirituality then you always uh, recognize that you're dealing with a demon if there's nothing in it for them but the joy and the peace and the happiness that comes from serving others and helping others then you're dealing with then you're dealing with someone's soul, someone's innermost. They're sharing the truth for its own sake. But more importantly, they're sharing you the truth 
for your sake. If you have the presence of mind to be in the moment and receive that and recognize that there's, there's nothing in it for this other person. They're not trying to sell me anything. They're not trying to make themselves feel better. They're not trying to, they're not trying to be right or to prove themselves or anything of that nature. And they're not trying to convince me of anything. They're just showing me. They're just, you know, planting a seed. They're just doing what they're doing. They're just, they want to help me. They want to legitimately help me for, for, the, for no other reason but that in itself. Well, I know, I know myself, I've come across, not sure if you guys have, have I've come across people where they'll suck you in with their charm and charisma, but once they realize or they, you'll get friendly, because I can be a bit gullible with people initially, a bit too trusting. So they'll suck you in, they'll get you right in, they'll get you right in, and the, if they sense weakness or anything, and it's unknowingly, all the time, it's, they don't even know they're doing it half the time. But once they see you as a soft target, then they'll start to attack and attack. And I now know how to deal with it. I didn't years ago, but it gets to the point you just have to cut the person off, um, and then you you don't go, you don't try and associate with people like that. But when they realise that you're going against, like you're trying to get against that, that's the worst part <laughs> because it escalates big time on their end, not on your end. You just don't let it. But have you guys come across this with people with, I'll just say narcissists. I wouldn't, wouldn't say, cause it's like, they're not even aware. So yeah, as you say, in many ways it is a demon, but they're not aware of it as well. Most of the time. So, um, the, the issue, there's two, there's two issues here. The first one is, uh, patience. Um, Individuals, they, narcissistic individuals, when someone wants something from you, when someone plans to essentially feed on you, to be a parasite, it, it is remarkable what sort of patience they can exhibit mm -hmm. because for them, it's an investment of time and energy. They want to get into your good books. More importantly, they want to get into position where you drop your defenses, where you are completely comfortable, right? And completely, you, you let them in. You let them in to your inner circle. You make yourself vulnerable to them. The real predators, right? And these are demons. This is what demons want. Remember to feed, but they have to get through. If they want a long lasting, long standing host. Remember we we're using these words, parasite and host and so on and so forth, because it helps us recognize as above, so below and say, well, you know, how do other parasites behave? Well, one of the ways they behave is they will make a little tiny hole in the tough skin of a fruit. And then they burrow inside and they spend the rest of their life eating away the soft stuff on the inside. 
right? But they'll spend an exorbitant amount of time and energy punching this little tiny hole in the skin, in the you know, to to get uh, to get into the inner circle, to get into the inside where the fruit is vulnerable. And demons are no different. They have to get past our defense mechanism. They have to get past our 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 radar and our senses and our ability to detect threats. And then once they're on the inside, now they can start, you know, slowly doing what they do. But they can they can exhibit incredible patience and incredible uh, affection and incredible um, interest in us and they can they can shower us with their attention and with their their I hesitate to use the word love it's not love but it's feigned love their admiration for example right um, they they can shower us with uh, with praise with compliments um, you know what's that expression you know to butter someone up right to butter someone up with uh, with you know with, with whatever right you you're you're basically but if we're if we're observant of ourselves in those moments and we realize you know what this is all fine and dandy but what's really being stimulated by all this is my pride is my ego this person is speaking to my ego right and you feel your ego being you know being being caressed <laughs> right you start to you start to ask yourself am i being played here what does this person want what is this person really after it's very interesting because that that always that doesn't always last either because you you'll get some that will do that or they they won't even do that so much but then it will pivot and everything becomes about them or everything you do is a criticism after once your guards lowered once the guards lowered that's right then it's like full full attack that's right once they get on the inside again like once the worm is on the inside that's you know that's that's it then then it's like well i mean i'm on the inside now and once they have their once they have their their it's like a tick right and once that once a tick has gotten its claws into you it's 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 mandibles and it's under your skin once it gets under your skin I mean, the gloves are off. It can do whatever the hell they want. You just try getting rid of that tick. And the narcissistic people, the toxic people, the harder you try to get rid of them, the more they poison you. That's actually a really good, that's a really good analogy because even with a tick, if you do manage to kill it and sometimes get it out, it will leave a piece of itself that then you have to get out later on. So That's right. I mean, the, the thing about a tick is um, if you, for example... Um, if you try to get a tick out by like dropping alcohol or something on it, the first thing a tick does is like it vomits and like it, it, it just leaves its toxic bile. Right. And, and like carrying, uh, all kinds of diseases and everything, Lyme disease and everything else. If you try to get it out, it's like the tick is like, well, if I can't have you, no one can. And narcissistic people are like that. 
you may have been in that kind of a relationship where you're trying to separate yourself from that person. And that person's like, if I can't have you, no one can. And this is why lots of breakups with narcissists end in homicide or some kind of catastrophic, you know, where that person out of spite will destroy that individual's career, will it destroy that individual's reputation? Um, because there is nothing that a con artist and a parasite despises more than than being uh, than being brought to light, than having a light shone on their scheme and having like the, the jig is up, right? They hate that. They hate that. And oftentimes, just out of sheer spite and out of frustration, they will seek to destroy the host. Which, which was not a good and obedient and loyal host, right? It's the same way that a uh, a dominant uh, uh, a sexual predator or a uh, a sexual uh, someone who is a um, who treats their partner as property, basically as a toy. When that person tries to get away. They're like, no, you, you have to be like punished now. You have to be disciplined. And, and so this is, this all comes down to, or this comes back to the word possession. Because a possession that's sentient is a slave. We have a word for it, right? Slavery. Slaves are possessions. And if slaves are loyal and obedient and hardworking, then everything's good, right? Then everything's hunky-dory. And the slave owner is happy. He's content because his slaves are obedient. They're loyal. They're hardworking, i.e. they're making the slave owner very wealthy. And very happy and very right because you know the the archetype of the of the southern slave owner he's all smiles and southern hospitality and come and have some lemonade and this slaves like he's terrified and goes up to him and says like i've got a, a, a you know i got a problem you ask him it's like oh don't worry dear we're gonna take care of you he's all done right he's all patting them on the head and everything's all fine and dandy and hunky-dory right until one of the slaves disobey, they stop to work, they try to escape, right? In other words, and then that Southern hospitality, that smiling, Southern graceful, da -da 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 -da, the hunky-dory owner, all of a sudden he turns into the devil. And he said, now you know, I'm going to have to whip you now. And it ties that slave to the post and 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 whips their back until until the the, the shirts hanging in shreds off their back and they're and they're and they're dripping with blood and they can't sleep on their back for a month. What there's only one thing that can make 
a human being turn on a dime like that. And that's oh, in, in psychology, that's in psychology, they call it in psychology, they call it amygdala hijack. So that's when they'll talk about like the flight or flight response, just completely taking over the brain. But as you're saying that even that's flawed, cause that's just the physical level. And I've seen even with myself and like mm -hmm. in my current job where I work, you'll see people get into these states, drug induced as well, but they'll get in these states of anger that it's, it even sounds like demonic possession because of the, the, or like I'll give you an example, people, someone will be in a holding cell because they've been arrested and they'll be kicking at the door for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or they'll be yelling and screaming for an hour. Like this is not normal. You know what I'm saying? This is not normal. This is not just chemicals taking over the body process for an hour. Well, that's, that's how I see it anyway. Um, chemicals only chemicals reduce inhibitions. That's the only thing that they can do, right? Chemicals cannot make you behave. Chemicals alter the brain chemistry and alter the um, uh, inhibiting, uh, uh, reduce our inhibitions and reduce our willpower, basically. So that's the whole point of chemicals, right? And the whole point of taking chemicals and why it's, it's a downward spiral because once you become addicted to something, then your willpower goes out the window, right? That's the whole definition of addiction is that you no longer have willpower. And now your addiction basically controls you. That's why Al Kool was the name of a demon to the, uh, the Arabs, the Saracens. And that's where the, the word alcohol comes from because that was Al Kool, a demon. And then you become possessed by Al Kool. And that's what turns you into an alcoholic. But all of that is is uh, blocking you from your uh, willpower. It's getting in the so remember it's it's running interference. It's undermining our foundations, and our foundation is our human soul, because our human soul is what connects us to our monad. It connects our human soul of Tipareth. That's the causal body. That's the body of willpower. That's in the sixth dimension. That is what connects us to our consciousness and our innermost being. And that triad, that three is one, our human soul, our consciousness, and our innermost being, that's what constitutes our monad or our higher self, our true self. That is our foundation. Everything beneath that belongs to our mortal vessel. So we have our mind, our heart, our vital body, and our physical body. Those are the four bodies of sin. Those are the domain of ego. That's where the ego gets to play. And that's what the ego, what the, what the ego is doing is trying to undermine our foundation, trying to pl play interference and block us <clears throat> from uh, and interfere with our willpower. And also there's the, um, the phenomenon known as ill will, where willpower itself gets twisted and corrupted and goes filtered through an ego. 
So now we have, and so we have the ill will for of demons, for example, what the demons want, what our egos want, takes the energy of our own willpower and directs it and redirects it and filters it and seduces it to be directed towards our desires. And that's why we are, it's possible to have ill will towards our fellow man, right? This is all, this is all very, very, a very sophisticated uh, uh, dance that's taking place. And all these ways of coercion and manipulation, it's all the ways in which the, this malware, and we really should think of it like that, but it's malware like AI, like agents in the matrix, or like all of those other uh, AI entities in this in the matrix in the second and third part, you have the Merovingian and you have the 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 keymaster and the gatekeepers and all the like all these other like different types of programs that are running around with all of their different agendas and everything else. It really is like what's going on inside of our psyche. And the more karma we have, the more we give in to these demons, the more power we let them steal and the more consciousness, the more ground we let them gain in our psyche, the more powerful they become and the worse off we are. The deeper into hell and deeper into psychological hell we are taken. Because of course, the four bodies of sin are called the four bodies of sin because our, our astral body, mental body, vital body and physical body are lunar. They're lunar because they're overwhelmed by demons and we are in hell. The lunar bodies are hell. They are Klepoth. So this planet is in hell. We are in hell. That's the, that's the fact, right? It's not demons who are running amok uh, in, in our territory. Quite the reverse. It's, it's, it's we are trapped and enslaved on the demon's home turf. <laughs> yeah. That's the reality of the situation. Because as we've said many, many, many times, if you were to design the perfect prison, a prison with no guards, no walls, no fences, no bars, no gates, no locks, no keys, But it was a place where people were clamoring to get into. Isn't that the perfect prison? Well, it is. Yeah. It is. That's hell. It's like even you, you even using slavery as an example. Like now, it was a good. It was a good system for the elite to make a lot of money off at the time. But then now we kind of have, now we kind of have what's, and that people say this is, the current system is like, we're still kind of life, we're still presented as livestock and treated as livestock, but everyone thinks we're in effect free in the system, but we're all still tied to money. So that's like the big paradox of the whole thing is that we are still, entrapped in a form and as you're saying that's at all levels at that level that's at all levels um we could get into um you know well there's people will point to a number of different 
phenomena, for example, uh, British uh, Admiralty law and the, uh, the birth certificate, your name. Um, we could talk about the monetary system and fiat currencies and how currency is energy. That's why it's called currency. Um, yeah, so Benjamin right here is bringing this up. To be honest, I think the hijacking of our identities happens at the start of having a birth certificate, our straw man. Um, however, again, as you say, all of that is an expression of the real slavery which is taking place inside. And what's, what's, but um, the slavery, like slavery is slavery. There's a very distinct difference between uh, the sex workers around the world who, who pay income tax, right, and are free agents, and the sex slaves who are taken from their village as children or are coerced into and then end up in you know Jeffrey Epstein's island or well, yeah the subject locked up in basements right I mean there's a distinct the subject difference. that I don't want anyone to know about yeah yeah I know right? what you mean. Yeah. so there's a distinct difference between human as chattel and people who are uh, entangled in a complex feudal system right a feudal uh, uh, because that's really what what we're talking about here the um, the uh, the the vassals, right? There's a difference between slaves and vassals. And vassals were come from the feudal system, the feudal system of lords, right? We had the monarchy. We nowadays we would think of them as the uh, the ultra elite. The lords, we would think of them as the corporations. Um, because and the governments to some degree, but the governments, governments are really agents of corporate multinational corporations. So um, we work for these corporations. So we're vassals of these entities and these entities are legal persons under the law. A corporation is a legal person under the law. So really that's like a Lord that we as vassals work for and they promise us things in return, you know, healthcare, uh, and, a, and a paycheck. And depending on the corporation that we work for and what we do for them, they might promise some other things. They promise a retirement, for example, and, and other things. Well, that's the same thing that the lords promised their vassals. Only back then it was, well, I'll promise to protect you. I have this castle. If, if the villages, if the, uh, if the region, if my lands are ever attacked, all of my vassals on my lands, they're all welcome to come into my castle. And I have all of these knights, these soldiers that I pay for with the taxes that my vassals pay me. But I have to have all of these knights and soldiers for your protection. Right. So it's a racket. It's it, that's isn't that's exactly what the mafia uh, does in in. In New York and other places, right? You have the you have the Don. The Don demands tribute, and in, re in return, the Don promises protection. It's just this happens that the mafia is a little bit more direct 
but the protection that the dawn is offering you is protection from him <laughs> yeah <laughs> right it's not just from it's not just from competing mafia lords it's protection from him so it's other it's direct coercion whereas the lords they also had that if you didn't pay your taxes well you know you were in trouble but the actual the actual feudal system was completely incestuous right because the lords were marrying each other's children off to one another there were all these 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 elite royal families these so-called noble families they're all they're all interbreeding and marrying each other's children after each other and it was all it was all and then every now and then they said well you know what it's time for it's time for us to invade uh you know uh worcestershire Worcestershire and you know this lord would invade that lord and they'd have to have a battle and have to have a big dust up why because they had to justify their existence they had to justify the existence for the scam most most of that still hasn't gone it's just enmeshed with everything else now it's, it's, just, it's still it's still there it just merged and evolved into what we have now it's far more sophisticated yeah. and and uh this would uh, you know what benjamin has a couple uh comments here let me get to those and then and then i'll continue on this other thought um <clears throat> he said just like there's somebody sam in bugs bunny if you can't beat them join them that was he posted that comment a while ago i can't even remember what it was what it was for he says to be honest i think the hijacking of our identities happened at the start of having a straw man we read that one yes we were born into a type of matrix where ai penetrates our minds and enslaves us when jesus was asked about paying taxes jesus said to them whose likeness and inscription is this they said caesar's and then he said to them therefore render to caesar the things that are caesar's and to god the things that are god's i guess maybe the ancient gnostics were against the rulers because they know the truth <clears throat> um <clears throat> on this note the render unto caesar's uh that which is caesar's and to god the things that are god's <clears throat> this has multiple levels of meaning but basically what he's saying is what belongs to physical nature mechanical nature and here caesar is equated to the ego and the ego works for mechanical nature so render unto mechanical nature, that which belongs to mechanical nature. And uh, to God, that means our divine nature. That, that is God's. So one of the things that we have to try to wrap our heads around is that mechanical nature loans us our physical body and our personality that's on loan that comes from the earth from mechanical nature so you know ashes to ashes dust to dust after we die hey you're muted after we die i have a feeling i know what's going on with this uh with that muted mic thing but <clears throat> but anyway after we die, our, what was loaned to us, it gets given back. We can't take it with us, right? So we have this uh, meme that shows the, the two circles of, of, 
of nature, um, mechanical nature and divine nature. And where the two circles meet, <clears throat> that's what we call the kingdom uh, or Malkuth or this. And in microcosm, that's our existence, our, our, our bodies and, um, and our mind, our, our physical vessel. Right? That's our physical vessel, a human being, is where the divine nature and mechanical nature intersect, where they come together. <clears throat> now, of course, it's going to put it on the wrong screen. Okay, here. <clears throat> so you see we have our divine nature that goes this way, and we use the uh, analogy here of water vapor, or the water cycle. So you have the water cycle and where the sun causes evaporation and then into the clouds and then we have condensation and rain falls. But then on the earth, we also have these undercurrents, right? We have these, this reverse where water, water at the surface cools and goes all the way down to the bottom and then gets warmed again and then comes back up. And so we have these these, these, these earthbound currents. And where surface water and water that is trying to evaporate meet, that's called surface tension. And that's the tension that is created between mechanical nature and divine nature. You see, our egos are trying to, to drag down and pull under through devolution, through the fall, is, kind, is trying to drag <clears throat> our divine nature down into the infernal worlds, down into hell. Our divine nature is trying to free itself from hell and go through evolution into the supernal worlds. And this is the, the, this holy eight, this, this constant uh, continuum. But the other way to think about it then is that the, the water that is trying to go through the water cycle in the atmosphere and then the undercurrents that are trying to hold that water to the earth and that's where we get this interesting phenomenon of surface tension where this thin film of water molecules that is actually solid enough that insects can walk on it. That's surface tension. That's that <clears throat> phenomenon. And that is how we have to comprehend and understand this virtual reality that we exist in called 3D reality. That's all it is. It is a space of tension between consciousness and unconsciousness, between the supernal worlds and the infernal worlds. All it is, is this, it's, it's this, it's literally this film. And when you look at the electromagnetic spectrum and you look at the spectrum of visible light and how narrow a band of frequency physical reality actually is, this model here begins to make that much more sense. 
where you have in you have beneath us we have hell and above us we have heaven the 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 supernal worlds including our foundation and then beneath us we have going deeper and deeper and deeper into levels of hell um <clears throat> Right. So our physical body that's all given us to us by mechanical nature so that our divine nature can come down and participate uh, in the game at this level, that's at the level of surface tension. So we can be an insect skiddling across the surface of the water for a time. <clears throat> But then after we die, our body goes back to mechanical nature. And but our our monad, our soul, either goes into the supernal worlds or the infernal worlds, depending, depending on our level of being, depending on our karma, and depending on our deeds that we accomplished while we were in the physical world, while we, we were in the kingdom. <clears throat> but this is the game. And it is and it is a game. Um, and this is what, you know, to uh, come back to what Raphael mentioned here, I guess maybe the ancient Gnostics were against the rulers because they know the truth. Well, this is what the Gnostics knew. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Caesar represents mechanical nature, the lord of the world. Caesar was the emperor, the king of the world. He ruled the world. He ruled the known world. That's mechanical nature. That's physical reality. But what Jesus is saying here is that, well, that's fine. Caesar can have it. The egos can have it because our world, the real world, is our divine nature and that belongs to God. So let the ego have the world. Let Caesar have the world. Render unto Caesar that which is his. But let God have that which belongs to God, which that's our divine nature. That's our essence, our monad. Because God, the absolute, longs for all monads to be able to win the game and return back to the absolute from where they came. <clears throat> That's like... So go ahead, go ahead, Zazel. <clears throat> no, it's well split. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because like, even with politics, I remember you've you had your material in um you had a pretty i looked at your political platform that you did a little while ago oh, i yeah. think you're gonna do it yeah yeah that's a very good platform but unless you're gonna have something shiny or anything like that and willing to play the game <clears throat> that politics is now which i i'm making an assumption here but i assume you you weren't which is a good thing it's not a bad thing Unless you're willing to do that, go to that level, then it's not going to get traction in with all of the clickbaity stuff that's out there. And mm -hmm. it just really kind of shows 
how bad things are that unless you're willing to um because I, I i've been involved in politics and that's why i stopped being involved in it because it's you have to really lower your morals and really have to play games with people all the time just to get anywhere and if you're not willing to do that you don't get anywhere but that's not a bad thing it's a good thing um it's um we are in very short order um everything is everything is going to collapse and when and mechanical nature which has loaned itself this planet uh, to humanity and this humanity has run its course we've we've gone from our golden age to our silver to our bronze and now in our iron age and we're reaching the end of the iron age or the end of the Kali Yuga <clears throat> that's old age anybody who's of a certain age knows that uh, once you've passed your prime uh, you start to feel your age year after year after year after year and you're basically now going on a slow decline and demise towards your death and this humanity has been doing that for some time now and what is old age if not forces undermining our physical vitality and, and longevity death itself is 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 the ultimate underminer and to but death and old age work for mechanical nature and these are undermining our physical foundations so everything that ego has built and everything that ego uh thrives in and everything that everything that that functions on those levels uh none of it can last there is nothing on this level of reality that is eternal even stars die even galaxies die even giant sequoias that have lived for a thousand years and more even they die anything that ego builds and creates or shapes or because frankly anything that ego had a hand in and is now but but ego's job the black lodge's job is to undermine and destroy itself destroy civilization so there will come a time when there will be so much chaos and confusion and ego was just it's just going to be so corrupt and so dismantling and destroying of itself and everything it's created 
that it's completely unreliable anymore. It, you can't you can't rely on it to do anything of any import of any, you know. So then what? Desperate times call for desperate measures. Um, you know, we're here, I'm here doing the work of Noah. And so anything that you see that I have done uh, has just been like planting a seed. It's just been like, you know, getting it out there, it's out there, it's in some form, some nebulous seed form, and now it's just waiting. Seeds can lay dormant for centuries. And the seeds that we're planting now will lay dormant until the circumstances are right. For them I never to... thought of it. I never thought of it that way. But that's, a, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it took Noah a long time, you know, to build his ark. And while he was building it, everybody said, you're crazy. What the hell are you doing? And the reason why they would say that is because, well, look, it's not raining. There's not a cloud in the sky. What are you talking about? Because they were operating under the assumption that, look, look how everything is working. Look how everything is today. Look what we need today. And I've never, ever operated on that basis since, uh, since I was a little child. I've always operated on the basis of, of how things will be one day as how things must be for this humanity, how things should be for this humanity. Because I've always known in my heart, this is what I'm here to do. And in my teenage years, I was absolutely obsessed with uh, prophecy. I read so many books on prophecy, I can't even tell you how many times I read Nostradamus and Edward Casey and all of them, all of them. And I had this book called the Millennial Book of Prophecy that was filled, you know, at Newton's prophecies and of course, you know, uh, the Revelation of St. John and on and on, all the prophecies from the Bible. It's just, I was just, the Mayan prophecy, I, you, you name it, I, I consumed it like a, like a vacuum cleaner. I was completely obsessed until one day I'm like, okay, well, number one, none of these prophecies agree with one another. So they're all intellectual, rational minds desperately trying to interpret their intuition, which means my intuition is as good as any of them because I don't have any details either. I can't tell you. I just have my intuition. I'm just going on my intuition. So my intuition is as good as any of theirs. So I stopped reading prophecy and I started just proceeding with my work, which is like, that's why I don't go around prophesizing, right? You don't, you don't see me spending time and energy telling people that it's the end of the world. We have, I think we have one article, one article on our blog talking about that. And even that is in the context of what nobody else talks about. With well, you're right. You're right. People that do say doom and gloom, even them saying that they're not even looking at the picture because even at the geopolitical picture that's going on right now in the world, if it goes in, let's say the China, Russia led way at the moment, that's going to prolong things. And the 
let's say the western side of the coin if that prevails and that's going to be doom and gloom but do you get what i'm saying there's always still a struggle yeah. there's always let's say a struggle between light and dark it's still it goes on in every format in every facet just as as above so below it's the same it's the same formula out in play so when people say that and they give absolutism it's it's i learned a while ago not to pay heed to it because it doesn't everything seems to be gray or it never turns out the way things are supposed to be to plan most of the time benjamin has a comment here uh, we can always rely on benjamin to uh to give us good insight into the uh the biblical uh foundations of these uh parables that we mentioned it took 120 years to build the ark and there was no rain prior to the flood uh that's why people did not believe him that's in the uh the story that the the 12 by the way the 120 years that's a um a kabbalistic number it's a esoteric number 12 refers to the 12 signs of the zodiac and the 12 independent aspects of the being so it's not a literal 120 years but the point is taken that it took a long time to build that ark and while it was being built everything was hunky-dory and that's why nobody took the ark seriously and everybody thought noah was a madman <clears throat> just as <clears throat> our family and most of our friends most of our friends who are now former friends and acquaintances <laughs> and everything think that we're completely insane <laughs> yeah but uh what we're here doing is preparing people in the most important way because the ark is well not just peapod life i mean that's part of it but the ark is in here the ark the ark is in here right we we are um this is where the ark is and and there are far too few people who you know who understand that but the the Black Lodge has been so successful at undermining this humanity and undermining genuine spirituality. But it has the Achilles heel. And the Achilles heel that it has is itself and something that we wanted to get to, but we got sidetracked, but we want to come back to it now. Remember how we've been talking about how people are un, unaware Remember we were talking about those toxic narcissistic people, but they're unaware that they are that way. They think that they're perfectly normal, right? Narcissistic people don't think there's anything wrong with them. And they certainly, if you try to confront them and say, you're, you're, you know, you're possessed by a demon or something, they'd be like, you know, they, they never, ever, ever entertain anything of the, even if they're spiritual people or whatever, they're never going to entertain that. They never they're, apologize they're, either. That's one thing I noticed. They never apologize. So, Remember, we were we were referring to uh, we were using the analogy of um, of um, of Weinstein, of Har uh, Harvey Weinstein, or the Jeffrey Epstein's of this world, or you know the sexual predators. In other words, there's another archetype, or another example, another uh, case study that we can use as an archetype for how demons operate. And think about the sexual predator who goes into a bar and slips a date rape drug in someone's drink. 
Now, the thing about a date rape drug is that that person becomes unconscious, unaware of what's going on. They might wake up in their apartment or somebody's apartment, or they might wake up in the back of a taxi cab or who knows, in the back, you know, in the, 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 behind the club in a dumpster. Who knows where they're going to wake up, but they're going to wake up with with just like vague, foggy memories as to what happened last night. They're completely unaware that they're being raped. They're, that's, that's the whole thing about date rape drugs. That's why they're called date rape drugs. This is, this is lesser egos or lesser um, demons. This is their only recourse. It's the only way they can get people to behave certain ways. Is, is it, you can think of it in that way, where that person is getting, pardon the expression, is getting screwed. That narcissist is getting screwed, but they don't know it. They don't realize that they're possessed. They have no idea. It's just that the, the mix, the, the psychological mix that that demon is using to hypnotize that host and put their consciousness asleep and present themselves as I, as me, right? So that that person believes that the, that the narcissistic demon is who and what I am minus the demon part, minus the narcissist part, right? So all you're left with is me, 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 I, 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 I want, I want, I want, and why isn't he this? And why isn't they that? And why isn't everybody, why doesn't anybody love me? And why doesn't, right? All you're left with is the surface level, what's presented to us as eyes, I, 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 right? Me, myself, and I. So this is this, and this is the vast majority of humanity suffers egos in this way. Demons are, they are uh, con artists. They are, again, pulling the strings, pulling the strings, making us a puppet. They're not out in front. Only their tendrils, right? Their tentacles. They only expose as much of themselves as they need to expose in order to gain control of us to get us to act in ways that they can get what they want. Then, yeah. they, then they pull back their tentacles. Because, because they're very self-conscious, right? 
the whole the whole notion of self-consciousness comes from their their, their egos are completely worried about themselves right they're yeah they're, they're completely egotistical right yeah so it can be like their 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 survival remember mechanical nature right survival is first and foremost every single creature it's there's two things we talked about this in a in a live stream a couple few weeks ago when we talked about the 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 pimp of babylon if lust is the whore of babylon and lust is the is the is the impulse to procreate that is survival of the species survival of the genetic line that's lust right procreation yeah. that's one drive that all creatures possess or a drive that possesses all creatures the second is individual survival the survival instinct for the individual to survive so that's eat sleep uh fight flight freeze or fawn depending on the situation depending on the uh, the kind of creature that we're dealing with here so you have defense mechanisms offense mechanisms and you have you have uh, uh, feeding mechanisms and if you're a parasite right you have your various mechanisms by which you identify find clasp onto and feed off of a host lust is survival of the species fear is survival of the individual fear and when you expand that fear to include things like dominance hierarchies in a pack or in a pride or in a troop now you have control which is the flip side of, of fear and of course the desire for comfort and security because all animals all beings desire comfort and security all animals do right even mammals are so successful because mammals were much better at making dens and you know and and and, and mammals because they generate their own body heat and you see like families of hamsters or whatever and they pile on each other right <laughs> and yeah. they create this ball of 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 uh, of, of of body heat to survive winters and stuff um so this survival is at the heart of every ego it's not only to survive as an individual but also to replicate itself so fear and lust if lust is the whore of Babylon and the mother of all egos, fear is their father. Fear is the pimp of Babylon because every whore needs a pimp. And that's, yeah. and that's why Lilith has a husband named Asmodeus, Asmodeus or Asmodeus. It depends. Sometimes the spelling is, is, is a little bit different. But Asmodeus is the, uh, the husband of Lilith. Lilith being lust, the uh, and the whore of Babylon. So, um, and Asmodeus is a, is a demon, like Lilith. 
Oh, so is that so is that what Lilith represents as lust? Ultimate. Oh, okay. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's f for for all practical purposes. Yes. Um, there might be other interpretations, and there might be other. Yeah, there is. But yeah. But for our purposes, Lilith is lust. No, that it makes that's that makes much more sense. And even if Lilith is portrayed as a demon a lot of the time, so it, it's yeah. Well, she most definitely is. So, well, I mean, there's you know, and there's Lilith, there's Nahema, there's other like, mm -hmm. um, what? One of the things I try to do is I try to draw a line and say everything on this side of the line is need to know information and practical information. Yeah, that's going to help us understand where we are at and the work that we need to do. Mm. And everything on the other side of the line is very interesting, very wonderful, fascinating, esoteric. Uh, you know, it's 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 wonderful for esoteric study, and eventually, probably, uh, very useful, valuable information once we've gotten to a certain level. But. What I try to do is, what I'm here to do is, on this side of the line, help people get to that other level. Yeah. And then there are other resources available. Master Samael spent an entire lifetime writing over 60 books. And all the people at Glorian.org have spent their lives creating this online repository of all this incredible esoteric wealth of information that people can go and access on their own time in their own way when they're ready and uh and they don't they don't need me trying to repeat or you know because i don't have that knowledge i don't have that esoteric knowledge and every time and i'm and i'm not allowed to do that even if i did spend all of my life studying it i have a terrible memory for names and all that kind of stuff i'm not that's not what i'm here to do i'm here to present the need to know information the rubber meets the road information in a way that speaks directly to the eccentricities of the people living in the world here and now in the time and place in which we are living and that's why this video that i've been working on that's been taking so much time it's been like i've been agonizing over trying to get it into this 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 time frame but also the 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 symbols and the allegories and and everything has been coming together now and what what's been appearing for me to have to be mentioned and included in it and in the context and everything else it's all becoming very 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 clear why someone and once you guys watch see that video um and i keep promising that it might be next week it might be next week it might be next week but it's not up to me honestly this week this week and actually in the last 72 hours for whatever reason i was told okay time for you to learn about the metaverse like what 
time for you to learn to buy. watch as many YouTube videos as you can about Mark Zuckerberg and the metaverse. You know, sometimes you get, yeah. like, why? But ours is not to reason why ours is, but to do or die. And, and, and I know now why, and I have to mention it in the video. Because if you don't know about the metaverse, or if you haven't heard about the metaverse, or you haven't seen what Facebook's, uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's idea of the next version of the internet is going mm. to be, it's everybody putting a virtual reality helmet on their face and, and being immersed into this complete virtual reality world called the metaverse. And we're like doing it. this in virtual reality. I like to quote Admiral Akbar when it comes to the metaverse. It's a trap. It's, it's, it's many, 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 many crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> a trap, a trap is, is as good as way as any to describe it, to be honest with you. Um, but the thing is, is that in my video now, like weeks and weeks ago, I had to, we had to make a decision. We had to say, what are we going to call this? When we were talking about Hume and Manas, you know what? We'll uh, actually, we want to, let's, let's, uh, we're a little bit off topic, but you know, who cares? <laughs> um, let, let, I'll, I'll, I'll show you this and then you can, um, Okay. All right. So this is part one of uh, no, no, no. Wait, wait. We can't do that. Hang on. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Uh, okay. Show it on that monitor. Thank you. All right. Okay. Okay. So. Um, so the video, part one is talking about the human condition. Well, actually, specifically, part one is talking about the word human. And human is a compound word of, uh, the first part is hume. And hume means earth, right? And uh, what earth is, is the earthen matrix for air, water, and nutrients to support life. But it is also the earthen vessel for yourself to lead a mortal life. That's Hume. That's that part of that word. The second part of human is manas. And manas means mind in Sanskrit. But it's not just mind as, as we understand mind. As Emerson called the overmind, it's what Nietzsche called the ubermind. It's what Buddha called the Buddha mind. And it's what we, uh, it's so Manas is the overmind, the ubermind, or the Buddha mind. This does not, this is not the personality or cerebral, mechanical, subjective, intellectual mind, right? That mind is a part of our Hume. The brain, the mind that we're all familiar with, our rational cerebral mind is actually part of our Hume. 
So that's not what manas is. Einstein, so Einstein called, um, uh, what Einstein called the rational ego mind is that intellectual mind. Einstein also referred to the intuitive mind. It's what we call the meta mind. And it is that meta mind, which is manas, it's the metaphysical matrix of self, consciousness, and soul. The multi, uh, it's what enables us to have a multi dimensional experience. It is a way to be, seek, know oneself and reality fully through meta mind. Now, this was literally weeks and weeks ago when we were confronted with the question, what are we going to call manas? Because it, what, how are we going to translate manas? Because in truth, manas in Sanskrit means divine mind. That's its true definition. I think we disappeared on the screen. Sorry? I think we disappeared on the screen. Oh, so you did. Hang on a second. There, okay. Uh, oh, I see. You know what? <laughs> oh, hey, that's not bad. How's that? Well, now we can see the presentation. Now you can't see the presentation. Okay. Well, anyway, it's well, yeah. we, we, we've been through what we need to. I'm not going to go through the rest of it. I'm not going to go yeah. through the rest of it. Um, but the point is, so let's, uh, if we go back to, uh, this slide, this, this, you know, I had these other, these other words for, um, that other people have called this mind, intuitive mind, over mind, Buddha mind, uber mind, but what were we going to call it? Because we couldn't call it divine mind. We couldn't, we can't. And, um, and so this is what, this is what, what came to us, call it meta mind. And we said, okay, meta mind, fine. And then later on, we, because we talk about metaphysicality and metaphysical, right? So meta mind, metaphysical, okay, there's a connection there. But only now, after the past 72 hours, when we were told that we have to research the metaverse, Only now has it come to light exactly and precisely why the word that we used here had to be meta-mind. Because what, our, what this video and what the subsequent book, which is going to follow this video, has to deal with, is has to reveal to humanity what the real metaverse is. And how the electronic technology metaverse that uh, that these companies are trying to create is a false metaverse. They're calling it the metaverse, but it's a false metaverse for the rational mind. It's a, it's a, it's a virtual imaginary, imaginary made up uh, distraction. Like uh, what did you call it? Um, 
uh, Blake, you called it a trap. Like, like yeah, Admiral Akbar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An- another way I like to think of it as well is, and um, is it's like a mirror. Like you know, in you know, in Superman, you know, in Superman, when um, oh, the in the first Superman, when the bad guys are sent on exile and they're put in the mirror and they're yes. cast out, so it's its own like shadow reality. Yeah. That's kind of what the metaverse is. Well, that's but, how I kind of look at it as well. But there's a and real. That's why meta- I say it's a trap. Yeah. But there's a real metaverse. There's a real metaverse. That's the metaverse that we've talked about, where we talked about our foundation, our higher self. We have, we, if we have physical bodies, we have metaphysical bodies. If we have a mind, we also have meta mind. We have the divine mind of our being. In other words, we have the meta mind of our being and that's uh well maybe you know what maybe we will uh here uh so a human being is the physical embodiment of meta mind of being that's what a human being is we have hume we have manas. We have our earth, and then we have our uh, meta mind, and we have our our rational mind. So the human is our physical vessel we see, our thinking and feeling hominid earth. Right, that's our our heart, mind, our brains and emotions, and then there's the metaph- metaphysical vessel we seek self-evident experiential knowledge of our consciously experiencing being of meta mind these are the you know and then you combine these these are the thinking feeling hominid and the consciously experiencing being this is a true human being this is a, a, a pottery that comes from peru sometime in the first millennium and we have hominid meta mind of being and this is what Shakespeare meant to be or not to be. And then we have uh, uh, from, from Genesis to Faust, from Lord of the Rings to Game of Thrones, talk about how ego causes the fall, confusion and suffering. We stop being a consciously experiencing being. <clears throat> so these two pillars together we end up with hume manas and being we get a triune human being tri meaning three un meaning french for one and the i n from triune is three and one that's literally what triune means and what you're left with is a true human being. And uh, our our allegory for this is a cyclist, a bicyclist. We have our Hume and Manas, and um, and our triune human being. Hume, Manas, and being. Um, 
Let me uh, jump into part three here for a second. So part three, we get to the meaning of the human condition, which is to seek Aum. To seek means to strive for. And that means, uh, but it's for us, it also means self-evident experiential knowledge, the objective truth, universal wisdom, and most valued life experience we can strive for. That's which we, that is we. Uh, you're muted. The second part is Aum. Aum. Or Om. And that's the analogous ultimate methodology of life. The meta paradigm of evolution and devolution at the heart of all phenomena and the heart mantra, Om. <clears throat> so the meaning of life then, our eyes suffering, oops. Whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. I, suffering instinctively, seek the analogous ultimate methodology of life. So the meaning of life is to be a true human being. I suffer instinctively trying to make, the world, the, make a better physical world we all strive for in life. And Manus, Manus suffers eyes consciously self-evident experiential knowledge of the analogous ultimate methodology. So the metaphysical world free of eyes can help us all seek the Aum of life. To be a triune, to be triune in life is to be three in one, a true human being. And again, that comes back to being a human cyclist. And that's to have uh, what belongs in the wheelhouse of our rational mind and the wheelhouse of our meta mind. We have our rational mind, our meta mind, our being, and that's what it means to be a true human. We have our physical vessel and our metaphysical vessel, but you notice these are wheelhouses. These are houses of control, right? So when we're confronted with everything we're confronted in life, just like a bicycle has baskets, that which belongs in the rational mind and that which belongs to meta-mind. And we can comfortably go through life and uh, go on our journey of life with everything neatly organized into what belongs in the wheelhouse of rational mind and what belongs in the wheelhouse of meta-mind. But if we only work with the wheelhouse of rational mind and we only work with our physical vessel, then when we're confronted by the storm, we have this dinky little physical vessel, and we're, and we're lost in the storms, right? And so the rational mind reacts with all of these its emotionality. And that's because the rational mind is vulnerable to... Oh, sorry, some of the timing of this seems to be off. No, or, or it's just... Oh, I know what it is. Okay. So um, we have our conditioned beliefs and disbeliefs, reaction and manipulation by many egos which is psychological malware. So these egos playing their game of thrones 
are what spin our wheel, that are control the wheel of our rational ego mind and our physical vessel. And this is the one wheel of a unicycle, right? Now, a unicycle, you can't attach baskets to a unicycle, which means everything that should go in those baskets now, uh, you know, and we, we can't balance it properly on a unicycle, but we have no choice. We have to suffer the human condition in the circus of life, the circus of this humanity, which is to be a, a juggling unicyclist. This is, this, is, this is how everybody lives. And all of these things that go through our mind, right? All these problems in our life, going back and forth, back and forth through our mind. But then there's all the problems of the world as well on a macro scale, not just in our lives. And then we have all the opinions and beliefs and uh, theories and competing theories and ideas about everything. That's also going back and forth through that rational mind of ours. And then, of course, all this is being fueled by the egos that are playing their Game of Thrones. Now, if anybody spends any time at all looking at, their, looking at themselves, observing their mind, this is what they see. It's a cacophony. It's a mess. <laughs> right? This is why the Buddhists and everybody say, you know, talk about, you know, trying to quiet this down. You, you try quieting that down. <laughs> and it's the it's very, eye of blindness. It's very hard to quiet this down. Sometimes. What's that? It's very hard to quiet it down sometimes. It's very hard. Well, well, when that's going on, um, and this is the eye of a blind interest, right? And there's this is this is it's no question why there's no you know the why we're all in suffering. And this is the the oscillating back and forth that divides and conquers us, right? Us and them, and they love me, they love me not. This is the law of the pendulum. We're back and forth, this and that. We're, we're trapped in duality. And this, is, this fundamentally makes this uh, unicycle of ours uh, unstable. This is what divides us like a divided gullum in Lord of the Rings. It's the ego as he pursues that which is precious to him. But it's also the eye of Sauron that divides and conquers Middle Earth just as it divides and conquers our earth with blind dogma and blind faith. Just as it divides Westeros, divides and conquers Westeros in their Game of Thrones. And it's all blind self-interest, blind egotism. So, so whereas Manas has the capacity to observe suffering eyes consciously via the Aum of Life, what we suffer with ego is identified with eyes suffering. And uh, we are attached to trying to make the world better. And we have an explosion of temptation to make the world better uh, for ourselves. And that's just like in, in the, the Bible and Faust and in all sorts of mythologies and uh, scriptures. They talk about the fall into not being. And it drives a wedge between us and our metamind. And so we now observe eyes unconsciously. So metamind cannot help us free, cannot help free us of eyes via the alm of life. So we're cut off. <clears throat> and uh, this is how an explosion of ego, temptation, 
Oh, sorry. Uh, that's uh, lust, gluttony, greed, envy, anger, pride, laziness, etc. Through temptation, identification, and indulgence, leads to an implosion of life. Hypnosis, ignorance, and of course, blind egotism. That leads to confusion and suffering, the, de the downward spiral of devolution, and not being. That's, and basically, we get flushed down the toilet, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, this, this, this part of the present, this, this uh, presentation here is not done yet. But um, what we want to get to is... Um, I can already tell this is going to be a profound video when it's done. That's um, why it's taking so long. Sorry? That's why it's taking so long, because it's, there's, there's a lot of meat in that. Uh, there's a lot of material in that video. Um, we're attempting to do here something that's never been done before in the history of humanity. This video, in told, these three parts, each one will be... The goal is to have each part under five minutes. Which means the whole thing will be 15 minutes. Revealing the whole of the human condition and the meaning of life and the way out of hell. Uh, summarized in 15 minutes. It's never been done before in the history of humanity. The closest that, we, that we've been able to find is uh, the to be or not to be speech from Hamlet. And even that, 99% of people on the planet don't know what, what that means. They think, they think Hamlet is talking about suicide. So we're we're and we're trying to do something in a way we're and we're trying to explain it in a way that we are giving analogies symbols but the bicycle right every child knows what a bicycle is everybody knows it's easier and more practical to ride a bicycle than it is to ride a unicycle. It's self-evident. If you had a choice to go on a cross-country ride with a backpack and a, you know, well, are you going to do that ride on a bicycle or a unicycle? It's self-evident. Here's the next self-evident. We talked about the wheelhouses and the vessels, right? This is an ocean-going vessel. Think of the ocean, the vast ocean, as the vast field of metamind, right? As, as the, the, the metaverse. And our metaphysical vessel has these gifts. Einstein called them gifts. Um, gifts. I should have uh, shared that quote with you guys from the beginning. But um, here, let me... Um, let me play this out for you. So we have our rational mind and physical vessel. We have our meta mind and metaphysical vessel. 
In other words, for that super tanker, that super uh, cargo ship, to make it into port, it needs the rational mind and physical vessel. Right? Those, those mega ships, they're great on the open ocean, but they can't come into port without a tugboat. In the same way that our metamind has access to vast amounts of information, but it can't come into the world without a physical vessel and a rational mind. So what does that look like? Well, a physical world in need of a true human being that is both metamind and rational mind. And the gifts of metamind can be offloaded. Imagination, inspiration, intuition, insight, peace, love, joy. These are the gifts of metamind. That's what Einstein referred to as sacred gifts. And he referred to the rational mind as a faithful servant. So the rational mind and its emotions and instincts, vitality, physical body, five senses, those, that's our hume and our meta-mind, imagination, inspiration, intuition, insight, peace, love, joy. These are all part of our manas, our meta-mind. These are the two pillars of a true human being. And this is the relationship between the rational mind and meta-mind. You know, and, um, and our faithful servant, right, as our mortal vessel. Now, this is Theodore, by the way. <laughs> now, you might think that's all very cute and everything, but it's actually, you know, I didn't choose the tug life. The tug life chose me. <laughs> <laughs> so Theodore comes, the second part of Theodore is called Doros. Doros means gift. In other words, to receive our gifts with humility and gratitude and to seek to be a worthy vessel conscious to share gifts is life's greatest gift. The first part of Theo comes from Theos, and that means God. In other words, the logos, which set in motion all evolution and devolution at the heart of all phenomena. In other words, the alm of life, expressing, receiving, and sharing infinite gifts of metamind, we call God. So to seek the alm of life, to be conscious of metamind, bring its gifts into the world for one and all beings via the alm of life. We have the side of the gift to be a gift of to be a gift of God to be a true human being. Oh yes, uh, 
this is uh this slide isn't done this is all rough still but we've got a video here peeling away the metaverse and getting to the actual real metaverse oh there's supposed to be something else that pops in there we go anyway so you guys are seeing the rough cut here but you see where we're going with all of this oh and then here's a slide that's got stuff it's got uh anyway still lots of still lots to be done actually but um you can see that you know we're we're working with ways of explaining this that even a you know even a a, a six-year-old can understand a six-year-old can understand Theodore Tugboat. A six-year-old can understand a bicycle. And children are much better at getting simile and metaphor than adults are. But the point is, is this, by and large, has been secular until the last part, the last part of the last part where we finally bring God into the picture. And we're trying to keep it as, 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 as vague a term as possible. That's why we have to include this section and include this slide where we define theos or God as logos. In whatever thing which set the universe into motion and that this meta-mind, right, is that we call God. Because it, at the, some point we're going to include this, um, this quote, Right? I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are just details. That's also Albert Einstein. God's thoughts is metamind. That's what metamind is. God's thoughts. It's not consciousness. Consciousness is how we access metamind. That's why you see consciousness, I've kept to an absolute bare minimum discussion. Yeah in this because consciousness is overused it's important it's very important in fact i i got i get into a uh, i get into how important it is when we talk about um uh here's this slide right we have we need an expansion of consciousness right in order to to synthesize what we seek so an expansion of consciousness gives us greater access to metamind, but I do not equate the two things. They're related, but they're not the same thing. There's, there's this... Metamind is more than just consciousness, because some, so many people yeah. think that the universe is just consciousness. Anyway. That's a... You guys got a bit of a preview there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm working on. But these, these, and now the metaverse, right? We have to bring in the metaverse and the discussion of the wide open ocean as this thing called the real metaverse. You need an ocean going vessel to traverse the metaverse. You need access to your metaphysical vessel and you need the faculties, you need to be able to work with metamind. Yeah, the rational mind. The, the, sorry? 
Yeah, the rational mind. I mean, sharing any kind of information without it is basically impossible. So, so but that relationship, right? Like, there's this mm -hmm. the tugboat. The the the, the tugboat. And because of the word vessel, right? It's so, it, everything works perfectly in the wheelhouse and everything. Everything just came to us in little bits and pieces, little, little step by step by step, everything coming together. And the way that the, um, the way that the, um, um, the way that we are able to use the, these, the two wheels. No, where am I? Ah, uh, no, that's part two. There's part three. The way we are able to orient the two wheels of the bicycle to the two wheels of the wheelhouses. There's this, there's this connection. I know, I know we're mixing our metaphors. Yeah. But, but listen, there's no getting around it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, otherwise we would be here for hours. But this way, this is still like, look, I figure if the, if it's really dense, if there's a lot of information crammed into five minutes, yeah, at least somebody is more likely to rewatch five minutes mm. than they are likely to rewatch 50. Yeah. Well, right? That's an excellent idea because even if they watch it for three minutes, you're going to bombard them with enough seeds that maybe something will take hold to some people yes yeah. you know um but you but you uh, but what, like you're saying like why this is taking so long let me i just let me flat out tell you it is a, a hundred a thousand times harder to do this than it was to do my original version of this i did it in a month yeah. My first version of this, I did it in a month. It was uh, over 40, 50, 50 minutes long. I did that back in March. It's taken from March to now to get it to where I'm beginning to close in on the completion of part three. So I'm, I'm getting it like three five-minute pieces. I literally had, I don't know how many, I, I, I had this Word document that was like, it was over 100 pages that was supposed to be the voiceover. Over 100 pages of voiceover text. Now it's gotten down to, I, I don't even know. It's like, it's something like, what, it's one and a half, it's, maximum six pages right so it's two and a half minutes per page right so it's maximum six pages i had to get like from what over a hundred and some odd pages down to six pages whereas the hundred pages took me a month to do and all the slides that went with it took me a month to do this has taken me since that time to get it down to where to to what you see here Plus the addition of the additional symbols and plus now I have to add in a slide talking about the metaverse and uh, it's, um, it's, 
but it's never been done before. And maybe this is why it's never been done before, because number one, um, they didn't have bicycles, tugboats, and <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, ocean-going mega ships, cargo ships, container ships, right? They didn't have them even a hundred years ago, let alone a thousand years ago. Oh yeah, that's true. And um, and the second thing is they didn't have they certainly didn't have the visual communication tools. Uh, they, they didn't have PowerPoint, for example, and video and everything else. But also it was it wasn't it was far less necessary because we weren't living in the Twitterverse even a hundred years ago. And now people's attention spans are like, the, the people have the attention span of a gnat. But how do you do like, but, but it was the question, like how do you do something like, how can you frame it? How can you communicate this stuff in a way that's gonna make sense to people that's going to uh that they're going to be able to understand and well, um well well i guess you have to do every slide like a TikTok on facebook or something <laughs> like every bit of it has to be interesting in some way oh yeah atlas like atlas one can hope this inspires a generation like lucas did in the 70s one can hope. Yeah, yeah. One can hope. Well, look, I, it, look, it's going to do what it's going to do, and um, and and uh, we have we've already found a publisher uh, and everything for for our books. We have so much material to put out in book form, um, and we know that there's every time we go for our walk, we go for our walk and uh, and just. Things just keep expanding and expanding and expanding out from this. This is really a starting point. It's a launching point, right? Like there, like you said, there's so much dense in here. This is really a seed. It's what it is. It's just a seed. I got to get it done. I got to get it out there in the world and see what it does. That's one thing. But more importantly, once I get it out there, this one thing and and, and just get it get it done and get it out there, I can, I can hunker down and start focusing on allowing this to, to work on me as well. And, yeah. and then start, and start having expanding this and expanding and expanding it out because there's so much more. I'll give you an example. Just, just, you might think, Oh, you know, that's, that's quaint, right? That's a quaint little symbol, right? Uh, uh, a girl on a bike. Uh, let's see if I can find yeah, let's, let's maybe go with this one. That's a quaint symbol, right? Guy on a bike. But, um, but have you considered, right? The being is the one who steers. Manas, the front wheel, determines the direction Willpower is the crank and the chain, the connection, the bond, the links that connect the rear wheel, our human rational mind to our willpower 
is the links or the chain. Those are the those are the um, the ties that bind. That's relegare to bind together. That's yug from yoga to bind together. But where the rubber meets the road in the real world, what moves the whole thing forward is the rear wheel. But who's supposed to steer and who and what is supposed to lead? What determines where the rear wheel goes? The front wheel determines where the rear wheel goes. Manas is supposed to lead the rational mind, but the rational mind in the physical vessel needs to drive forward in the same way that the tugboat needs to pull the super the super cargo ship into port this might seem like a trite cute little analogy but there's all of the metaphysical science is contained in this allegory how it actually works how a bicycle actually works is how a true human being is supposed to work right down to willpower and the crank and and relegare yoga true faith that's connection with our innermost being knowing yourself having willpower that's telema that's the chain and the crank and the willpower of the pedaling that's our part that comes from our true being our willpower yeah And then do we let our being steer our bicycle? Yes or no? But the answer is no. Well, then we're a unicyclist. Right? And then we're we're all wobbling around and juggling and 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 we're desperately and we're trying to crank, you know, we're using our willpower, strength to 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 uh to motivate ourselves and go, but we can never go as fast or as far or as high. As you a can just ride around in a circle. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's funny you mentioned that. It's I'll funny you mentioned that. It's funny you mentioned that because here. <laughs> there we go. It gets better. <laughs> Right? It gets better, right? There he is. We have our juggling unicycle. Oops, sorry, sorry, that's I shouldn't have done that. Um anyway, so we have our juggling unicyclist, and he goes, he does go around in a circle. That's what I was saying. And that's and that's basically all of our our leaders and our thinkers and our and our uh, um uh you know our celebrities and our religious leaders, right? That's all they're doing. They're all unicyclists. <clears throat> anyway, this is uh this is just more of this is this from the second uh presentation. Oh, maybe I can share this one too, right? This this I like this slide because um this is from part two of the presentation. This is talking about um <laughs> this these are these are unicycle, these are real things, by the way, these uh these off-road unicyclists. <laughs> and um clearly <laughs> The uh, this causes our you know the earth to fall and get trapped under the glass ceiling of the uh, three three dimensional limitations of physical science and a mind which believes it knows versus meta mind which actually knows uh, metaphysical science 
and can harness the potential of uh, four dimensions and beyond. So this is where we are with our unicycles, right? This is this is where we are at. We have this this concept of uh, physical reality, but there's but we're trapped again beneath the glass ceiling. So to harness the human condition, right? We have to harness what humanity discarded, which gives the human condition meaning. Anyway. Every time I ride a bike, I'm going to think of this now. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um. More so, importantly, what it will make me think is, am I on the right path today? Because I get, well, is, that's kind of what you get. Is that what you're getting at with the like the bike? We've got to make, you've got to make sure everything's running smooth and you're on the right path. Well, look, there's only so much I can get into yeah, yeah. on the, uh, on the, um, uh, with the time that I have, but you're you're getting ahead of me already and you're just giving no 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 you're just you're just you're just um um uh what's the the word just not coming to me you're highlighting just how much more is packed into that symbol that analogy that allegory that can be unpacked because of course you're right and and i address it in a very 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 rudimentary way in a very very quickly where do where did i uh, tackle that or mention that okay here hang on a second no let me uh, there there we go okay so you know i'm going to do this quote though so um, I have these quotes, right? Uh, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. That's another Albert Einstein. I got so many good Albert Einstein quotes in this presentation about bicycling. It's funny. It's not. It's crazy. Um, so, so the thing about a bicycle is that the center of gravity is so high, and yet you're still able to maintain balance and forward momentum. So it doesn't matter. Uh, if you're, <clears throat> if you're just learning to ride a bike or you are a, a seasoned veteran, right? The ability to keep balance over ridiculous terrain, right? A bicycle is just, it's just a superior vehicle, right? <clears throat> and it allows you to, it allows you to take paths that are, that are less traveled and more difficult. And it enables you to traverse even the most difficult and treacherous and 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 you know normally terrifying situations, right? This is all this is all bicycles doing this. It, and and it also allows you to carry incredible loads, <clears throat> right? You can carry so much more if you have a bicycle. And you would otherwise, and it doesn't matter if you're taking a, your path is going on a long-term journey across the country or just around the block with the people you love. 
So I've got that slide, right? Nothing compares to the simple pleasure of a bike ride. That's John F. Kennedy. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're young or you're young at heart. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're racing to work or if you're at work. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're, you know, racing up the mountain or if you're, you know, racing against the pack, racing in the Tour de France. No matter who you are or where you come from, the likelihood is that you've ridden a bicycle and you know, um, you know the benefits and the joys of that particular mode of transportation. And it's not surprising then that the bicycle is the single most successful form of transportation in the world by far. But it begs the question, right? If the bicycle, if a bicyclist represents a true human being, that is a, a triune human being of humanus and being, then why is humanity, uh, why does humanity suffer the human condition? Right, and this is where this picture here just shows all of these discarded bicycles and that's where all of our suffering comes from and the, the the this is the end of part one right on the bicycle so this is the beginning of part two that talks about the human condition and uh, and unicycles and and all of human suffering comes down to the fact that we, true human beings are bicyclists and ride bicycles and intellectual hominids, suffering hominids are unicyclists because it's that much harder to get through life on a, a unicycle than it is bicycle. So it's, it's it really just, it's really just simple. It's simple and it's self-evident. Because that's what we have to deal with, right? Self-evident, experiential knowledge. It's what we seek. That's what this is. That's what this represents, this presentation. Which is another thing that normally, under normal circumstances, people say, people will tell you, you can't get gnosis from a book. You can't get gnosis from a presentation. Well, you know what? Maybe you can. If... The presentation embodies it, it it contextualizes your experience in such a way that you that you look at the experience that you already have and you see that you see that experience in a new light. If you see the world in a new light, that's step one to seeing the light of the world. That's the, that's the tagline of the Atlas Project. See the world in a new light and see the light of the world. Or see the world in a new light, seek the light of the world. But you've got to see the world in a new light. So if you see, if we can show you something and put it into a way that you can understand it very clearly and, very, and that you can't argue against it, the very least, you can't argue against the superiority of a bicycle over a unicycle. And you can't argue that a super tanker 
or super, uh, I keep calling them super tankers, but they're a cargo ship needs a tugboat to get into port. And that a tugboat is useless out on the open ocean. And a tugboat is useless unless it's helping a cargo ship get into port so that it can unload its cargo. That's its purpose for being. That's its meaning for existence. You can't argue that. It's self-evident. Anybody who argues that is, is, is irrational and can't be helped. It's, it's, they're, they're, they are obstructionist and they can't be helped. We won't cast pearls before swine. But for those people who can see once they've shown in a very simple way and they can see this and they say, okay, shit, we're going about things the wrong way here. We're, 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 we're handicapped. We've handicapped ourselves. Say, yeah, you've handicapped yourself. Well, we're here to unhandicap you. Because guess what? All of us, all of us, to one degree or another, are a bicyclist. We just don't know it. We're just unconscious of it. And that's one of the slides that we have yet to get to, is explaining that metamind is also called by modern psychology, unconscious mind. But we don't want to get too far into this into, because we don't have enough time and we don't want to complicate things too much. We want to keep it simple, simple, simple. We can get deeper into things when we get into our book and when we do subsequent videos on subsequent chapters from that book. But each one of those videos has to summarize that chapter in five minutes. Let's see. That's like seems to be like the the, the cutoff. And um, but the point is, is we have to stop. Modern psychology has to stop preaching this unconscious mindset. No, we have to make the unconscious mind conscious. Not just what Jung said to make the subconscious mind conscious. We have to make the unconscious mind conscious. That's why expanding consciousness, awakening consciousness is so important because awakening consciousness is what allows that, achieves that. And what are we becoming conscious of? Because what the unconscious mind contains is metamind. And what the subconscious mind contains is our ego, that which blocks us from metamind. And that's which prevents us from being and what keeps us not being. But it's it's interesting you should say that with modern psychology because even even in modern psychology a lot of psychologists and so-called experts don't even want to talk about Jung or subconscious it's all about behavioralist or like the skinner school now that's what it's all of and even like peterson even though jordan peterson's become very popular now what he talks about is controversial in psychology because they don't like it because Jung's theories, even though the paradox is all the metrics for personality are based off Jung's, um, uh, uh, what's a collective unconscious theory, which is what they don't like. They don't like that one bit. Um, 
well, I don't like the collective unconscious theory either. The collective unconscious theory. Uh, for, uh, for, for a different for a different reason, but yeah, oh, okay, I'm sure. But um, like, what I'm saying is, modern psychologists don't like it because it's you know, it's uh, what's the word? Um, uh, woo. It's not. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all woo. voodoo. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, woo. It's woo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I hear what you're saying. It's woo. Yeah. And you know what? They're going to say the same thing about this, but it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter. It's right. Yeah. See, the problem with Jung is that Jung got a lot of things wrong. He got a lot of things wrong, like this whole shadow work and the integration of the shadow. He got that wrong in the way that Jungian psychologists today understand it. Like Peter, this whole concept of embracing your shadow like like Peterson was talking about it the other day. Uh, I watched a video of his. Uh, it was a short video on a different topic, but he was talking about how the integration that you that you need to be you need to be dangerous, and you need to know you're dangerous. You need to know you have the capacity to be dangerous. That you have the capacity to be a threat, but that you do, but you act but you don't act on it. But the fact that you have the capacity of it makes you more formidable for you know because of you have the capacity of it but don't act on it so but it's basically an argument that says um you don't have courage unless you have fear so your fear is what makes you courageous because you have your fear but you 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 overcome your fear um, but the thing is, is that that's all well and good from a certain limited point of view, but from another point of view, all of that is limiting. All of that is limiting to the nobility of a trained animal, a domesticated animal. So... What do we think of a wild animal, right? A wild animal acts on its instincts. A wild animal acts on its egos all the time. So a domesticated animal is one that's docile and under control. All of those instincts are still present in a domesticated animal. And occasionally they come out. Like in a dog, for in dogs, for example, occasionally those terrible, terrifying wolf instincts can come out, and sometimes to, to great tragedy. But most of the time, they're they're under control, and that's why dogs are man's best friend, and that's why they're dog people and cat people, and there are people, and that's one of the reasons why people like pit bulls, because they know that pit bulls are dangerous. And it gives them that feeling of power and for they're, they're formidable dogs or like bull, like, like a pit bull, um, pit bull terriers or like bulldogs or Dobermans or German shepherds, right? You see these, you know, big tough muscle guys or whatever on the beach, or whatever. And they have these big dogs, these big tough dogs because <clears throat> they're extensions of their own ego, their own personality. And, uh, and they want to be seen as formidable, saying, 
yeah, don't mess with me. I've got everything under control, but but don't let the beast out. And 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 Peterson was talking about martial arts and how martial arts are all about training and getting all of your da- being dangerous, but the training in martial arts is all about not having to ever use it your ability to kill people with your hands. But should you ever have the need to do so that you be able to do so. And he he equates this to the integration of the shadow. Where there will be a time when fear and anger and pride and gluttony and lust that you will have to use these and unleash these and that somehow makes you a better person. He, Jung, and he spent too much time with damaged people and not enough time with enlightened people, awakened people. He had no concept of the ferocity of the Christ. See, a martial artist never loses his temper. A true martial artist is never afraid and never loses his temper. And the, and way the martial arts training, right? The martial arts is to is to, re, to to maintain calm, abiding, as if martial arts itself. That's what Tai Chi is. Moving meditation. That's what Tai Chi is. And, and Kung Fu comes from Tai Chi. And Kung Fu is just Tai Chi sped up. That's well, they all, all are Aikido, all of the traditional ones are all, yeah, based off the same. You're, you're right. It's only the modern, like, M- MMA stuff where they're taking it to an extreme. Whereas, as you're saying, the traditional ones, you can, they don't actually teach you to apply it in the method he's even saying. You can apply it that way if you if you allow your brain to do that, to, because they'll they'll teach you the basic, and then if you apply it, yeah, if you take it a little bit further, you can break someone's wrist by doing it. But they won't teach you that, and they won't advocate that. Uh, was I muted before? What's that? Was I muted? Before? Uh, I can hear you now, but you just popped yeah. in and out for a second. Oh right, yeah. So the things I said before wasn't heard. Okay. <laughs> oh. Well, it doesn't oh. matter much. Oh, okay. Well, oh. you know what? Uh, we can't see. Oh, I say that's. Oh, sorry. I... <laughs> does it does it tell you if you're muted? It should uh, have. A no, it's echo. like on the headset. So if I mute here. Oh, okay. There, oh, there the won't be a symbol. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? This this technology stuff working it yeah. out. Like, you know, it, after after we use it a few times and get used to it, then we start getting a uh, getting um um uh getting more used to the quirks and the uh, peculiarities of it. But yeah. um the uh the so this whole thing about so again the our inner demons, our own demons, right? Then this is. This is the problem with Jungian psychology and, and this, this twisted version of martial arts 
is the idea that you can keep everything under control. And then when you need it, you unleash it. You, you unleash your demons. Like, it's almost like keeping your demons as some kind of like attack dog yeah. that you have on a leash and you have it like domesticated. So it's under control, but, but boy, oh boy, if someone messes with you, you're ready to cry havoc and unleash the, uh, the hounds of hell. Right. Yeah. That's, but I would ask you this. I would ask you this. Have, have either of you ever lifted weights or have ever yeah. lifted anything really yeah. heavy? Right. Have you, have you been, have you had that experience? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, when you were straining and putting all of your energy and effort into lifting that thing that was really too heavy for you to lift, but you put all of your willpower and all of your energy. Okay. Were you angry in that moment? No. No. But from all outward appearances, <laughs> was, was, your, was your face scrunched in? Were you, were you, was, you, was your head turning red? Was, you know, you, okay? Like physically, you had the appearance of being angry. Yeah. But you weren't angry. You were calm. But you were approaching that task, perhaps in that moment, you, you, you had to lift that object because, you know, if you, if you let it fall, it would fall <laughs> on someone or, you know what I mean? Like, for whatever reason, some, it was like your life depended on it or somebody's life depended on it. You put all of your energy and suffering and effort and strength and willpower into lifting that thing. You did it with an intensity and you did it with a ferocity. There was a fierceness to what you were doing, but not anger. Not anger. Yeah, exactly. When you watch a cheetah in slow motion, right, chasing down a gazelle, you look at that cheetah's face. There is no anger there. There's no anger. It's a cheetah taking down prey on the Serengeti. There's no anger there. But there's ferocity. But no anger. Where the anger comes in is when two lions are competing then there's anger. There's that conflict. Right? Or when, you know, you step on you step on your cat's tail, then there's anger. Yeah. <laughs> right? But this idea that that martial arts somehow leverages the emotions, it does not. It does not. Yeah, him even saying that. In, in most traditional, they don't even teach you that. It's all about deflect. It's all about deflecting and getting away and trying to get away from the opponent. Like it's not. Yeah, as you said, it's an extension of of Tai Chi and the the I Ching form. The you know the, the formulas 
that whole school that's come it, down. It's it's a physical extension of Confucianism and Taoism. That's it. That's it. It's it's the, it's exactly what we mentioned about being the physical body, the physical embodiment of meta mind. Martial arts is that, but it's it's so it's it's being able to bring in like meditation and meditate with the physical body. So can you make martial conflict into a meditation? In other words, we experience this. Um, we have an article on the um, video games ascending to higher art. We tell the uh, story about playing a video game and it was a martial arts video game. It was a sword fighting game called uh, Soul, Soul Edge. And, and we were playing late at night. We were, we were teaching English in Japan when this, was, when this happened. And so, you know, there wasn't too much to do, uh, you know, all the time. And we didn't have too many friends and, and whatever. We had, you know, some. But uh, sometimes we, all we had to do is, you know, we went home and after, after a day of teaching and ate dinner and, you know, most of the TV was in Japanese and whatnot. So, so one of the things we did was we played this game, uh, our PlayStation, we played the Soul Edge game and we were playing against the AI and we were sword fighting, but it was, it's, you know, and, but as it was getting later and we were getting more tired and more tiring into that semi-sleep, sleepy state and just being more relaxed and more letting go and letting go and just, you know, we slipped into this meditative state and in this state, we we just allowed ourselves to just be taken to kind of extend ourselves into, okay, well, to the comprehension of what it was we were actually fighting. And the comprehension came to us is that you're not fighting a machine here. You're not fighting an AI. You're not fighting a machine. You're fighting the person who programmed the AI. And because that person is a person, and that person has an innermost essence that you are one with, that you're connected to right now in meditation, you're one with them. Yeah. And we connected with them. And suddenly, we, we were unbeatable. The, the machine couldn't land a hit on us. We knew everything the machine was going to do before it did it. Why? Because we were one with the mind, with the meta mind, behind the rational mind, <clears throat> who programmed the AI on this divine high art video game called Soul Edge. High art. This divinely inspired video game. So it was the meta mind programmed the AI through the rational mind of this programmer who we were now connected with through our meta mind in the field of consciousness, in the field of the metaverse. And we were completely calm and relaxed, absolutely zero stress whatsoever. And we just kept going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher level. The computer couldn't land a hit on us.
match after match after match after match. Perfect, 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 perfect. Until we said, wait a minute. If I can be one with the programmer, <laughs> then I can be one with everything and everyone. Yeah. And that's when we drop the controller and we we uh that's a that's another story for another day. But but that's when everything else went completely you know, but it's like stepping stones, right? And we realize if I can be one with that meta mind, then I can be one with a metaverse. And that's what happened. And um, and you see, this is this is every human being's birthright. This is and every human being should have. The opportunity to experience reality and and every human being should have the opportunity to bring forth into the world that which their unique individuated aspect of the metaverse and 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 metamind are gifts that's why einstein calls them gifts everyone should have the opportunity to bring their unique gifts of meta mind into the world and there's no greater joy there's no greater satisfaction there's no greater fulfillment than to do so and guaranteed all the problems that we face in the world today all the problems will be solved within a generation because every problem that we face right now energy and food security and all the rest of it all of that stuff is trivial for the metamind it's trivial all you got to do is read walter russell and nikolai tesla but the problem is we can't you know we, we we can't pursue free energy and things like this while the world is in the grips of ego <clears throat> but the point is is that the people who are in the grips of ego they are reaching the glass ceiling. They are reaching the end of their rope. Their materialist science, their superficiality, their materialism, their greed, all that stuff has taken them as far as it can go. The only option they have is to go back into tyranny. And, and they are terrified. They are so possessed by fear and so possessed, like they're so completely and totally possessed by fear. That's why they're they're so adamant about control and dominance and and all and all the rest of it. Well, you watch you watch it at the moment. If if you w watch geopolitically the two spheres at the moment, let's say it's actually like the one side is so entrapped in fear that they're just doing all these clown moves all the time at the moment. Like the sanctions and the sanctions and all that's a great example. They're trying to hurt Russia, but ultimately they've hurt themselves way more in Europe. It's just like, do you get what I'm saying? It's exactly what you're saying. They're doing it out of fit. They don't even know what they're doing. 
is yeah. actually hurting them. They think it's hurting them, but it's it's played in their favour, and it's now the rest of the world is going to Russia and China as a result and going, well, no, we don't want any part, you know, even Saudi Arabia and countries like this are looking at it going, no, we don't want any part of this because this is not where things are for us economically. It's better if we join up with them than stay with the US. And it's all backfiring. Um, one of the one of the defining characteristics of the Kali Yuga is complication and confusion. So uh, when any system, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, chaos theory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. Okay, so you know that uh, in, in, in those systems, they can go through a number of different iterations <clears throat> and the order is maintained and the order scales, right? Mm. But then it reaches a point where some, depending on the, the algorithm, the, the, the formula that you're using, like the Fibonacci sequence can go forever. And there are other, there are other, the Mandelbrot set and so on can keep going and going, but there are more complex chaos uh, formulas that can go so many generations. And then all of a sudden they go logarithmic and completely break down. Yeah. They, they, they break into total chaos. So at the beginning, there's order in the chaos, right? You can see the order, you can see the pattern. And it's distinct and it's repeating and it's scaling up and it's scaling up it's scaling up. Then all of a sudden, the formula goes bonkers as the numbers go logarithmic and everything breaks down and the pattern is completely lost, right? This is what, this is what the Kali Yuga is. This is what the minds and the rational minds are facing and dealing with. They've been using certain playbooks for the past 150 years, well, actually, no, for the past more than millennia, but especially in the past 150 years, they've been playing out of certain playbooks. They have formulas, right? It's formulaic. They just repeat and just play out of the same playbook like uh, managers uh, managing a football team. But then eventually, you run into a situation that you try using this play. Well, it worked, it worked 10 times before, but now you try that play and it blows up in your face because the complexity of the variables are 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 so are, are so off the scale nothing that you do not your formula just doesn't apply anymore this is the problem that materialist science faces this is the problem with the hadron the large hadron collider they claim they found the higgs boson but they have they haven't found jack shit since they, they built the world's biggest science project, and they haven't they haven't found any. And, fr and frankly, they haven't found anything with it. There's no such thing as a Higgs boson. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. They might have reported that they found something. What they think they found is probably just them them uh, manifesting something because there was so much thought and energy and everything put into. Oh, we're gonna find it. We're gonna find it. We're gonna find it. So they had to find something. Right, yeah. they they manifested something according to the laws of quantum theory, and the, according to the laws of uh, uh, black magic. Right, everybody wanted to find something so badly. They put so much time and effort and energy into building this mechanical monstrosity 
that was going to prove this theory. And so, yeah, it proved it. But guess what? It can't it can't find anything else. It can't prove anything else because there's nothing else to find. There was never anything to find in the first place. But they found it because of because of, you know, manifest your desires. If you want to find something badly enough and you can convince the entire world to focus its consciousness on your uh, on your monstrous science project and you can pump enough currency into it and then enough energy into it surely you can manifest a blip on a screen and a blip on a printout that says oh yeah we found the higgs boson that gives uh the atom mass <clears throat> let me ask you let me ask all of these people uh any developer anybody who works in a video game development and a 3d engine <clears throat> when they're working on the physics engine in their video game okay where is the particle where is the 3d polygon in the virtual world that gives pixels mass explain that to me well, it's just a line item in the physics engine exactly which is what gravity is which is what mass is it's a line item in the physics engine underlying the 3d virtual reality that we are in the very notion that physicality exists is preposterous physicality is a creation is a fabrication of consciousness didn't they just give two scientists the nobel Peace prize for saying exactly that this year is it i only vaguely read the other i remember i was reading somewhere though yeah that they basically talking about the same thing that now they're saying holographic theory and that is correct even though they've been trying to say it's not <laughs> and it's like oh so everything that the, the mystery the mystery schools and everything talked about yeah. is now correct but we're going to get we're going to attribute it to two scientists this year that's right. Uh, That's right. So, so again, what, what, and and that's why perhaps we're going about what we're doing the way we're doing it. Is that, you see, knowledge is power. Knowledge has to be given back to the people, and it has to be made clear to people that truth truth is the domain of every conscious being no matter how little free consciousness they have and no matter how young they are small they are insignificant they are in the eyes of the world in the eyes of truth, they are a keeper and the bringer of a light of the light. They are a keeper of the flame. And their birthright is to be one with the fire of fires and the light of lights. No schooling, no degrees, no accolades, no Nobel Prizes, no 150 peer-reviewed articles in the in the uh, 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 journal Nature. Einstein 
what was he? Uh, uh, a clerk, a patent clerk, right? Yeah. High school dropout, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and a patent clerk. Now, was he right? Did he get everything right? No, he didn't get everything right. But that's because he started believing his own bullshit in the end, and he got caught up in his rational mind. But the point is what it is. We've known things about ourselves since we were five years old. And at some point, we just have to turn away and walk away from all of it, from all the demands and the accolades and the pressure and the this and the that and the and because you know how many times you've said you should go and be a professor you should go and be this you should go and be that and good but what we're, we're doing what we're doing because what we're showing you even tonight little bits and pieces little snippets of it right we're invoking theodore tugboat for god's sakes right it's not the stuff of the, the the journal nature who cares what's in the journal nature how many of you how many of anybody has read any of the articles that's in the journal nature what is of any consequence in those articles truly those guys who were given the two nobel prizes congratulations as as blake pointed out you just said what the Vedas said 5,000 years ago. Yep. Reality is Maya, illusion. Congratulations. You've just spent your entire careers figuring out what anyone spending any amount of time in meditation can come to know on their own. We have to really, and that's again, you know, not taking anything away from the books of Samael or the work of Glorianne or all the rest of all that stuff. We don't even mention, we don't mention the tree of life. We don't mention initiations. We don't even use the word gnosis in our video. We don't talk about archangels and masters and 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 major mis minor mysteries and major mysteries and three mountains and Klipoth and all that like honestly just where the rubber meets the road the need to know information practical practical we have to be infinitely practical and we live in the age of the internet, the age of ADHD, and uh, and uh, it is it is what it is. And all of these gatekeepers and all of these these uh, uh, these so-called um, cliques and and intellectual mafias that control that hold the purse strings of knowledge and say, oh well, you know. Like, you say something, well, well, what are your qualifications for saying that? I don't know. I'm a How person. That's my qualification. How about 45 years of meditation? No, I agree with you. I don't, I don't know why. Like, it's, yeah, as, you, as you're saying, if something's self-evident, 
that should be enough to the person. If your ego is not involved in it, but when the ego is involved, that's when things like, oh, well, what are your qualifications? Is it peer reviewed? Is it this? Is it that? Etc. Yeah. Jumps into it. Look, I, we figure if you make it simple enough and you make it down to earth enough, and if you do, if we are dealing, which we are, in self-evident knowledge that it's if we keep everything in that domain then uh people enough people enough of the right people will respond will um you know it'll have it'll have the it'll plant the right seeds with the right people and enough of the right people and and that um you know the rest will take care of itself um and it's good you're doing it because even like from like like spiritual new age all this even all that like even if people who are just involved in that could come across your your material but like this what you're doing and your other material because I, I remember when I first come across you, I think I was in a few groups on Facebook and then I think you were posting, this was a couple of years ago, you were posting, or one of the other guys who posted a lot of your stuff and and Samuel's as well. It was Samuel um, Anwar's quotes and that's and that's how I first got into contact with your stuff as well was, was through that. And even if people can... And like your stuff and his stuff just cut straight through a lot of it and it's like and it hits you right in the core and you're like oh like like it's like a ton of bricks hits you sometimes like you read especially brother samuel's quotes you'll you'll see that but with you it's more like um the memes and the visual stuff you do that's what really i find is really good that's yeah especially to show others you show someone that And some of the reactions I've had when I've shown people that is the ego just comes out straight away or you don't, they don't say much at all, which is, which I find is a good reaction. It's it's better than the ego lashing out because it's like, oh, maybe that, maybe they'll never get that. Or maybe that'll take five, that maybe that'll take time for them to understand that. Where someone is quiet, at least maybe it's sunk in. Well, um, what we're trying to do with this, with this video, as you can probably gather, is uh, put put motion, right? Put motion and 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 step by step storytelling, if you will, to to those to those visualizations that we do. Because you know the funny thing about those visualizations, you know, we've been making we've been doing those since we were thirteen years old. Um, we started doing them um, working uh, with our uh, with our dad. Uh, he was a uh, the director of manufacturing for a shirt company here in town, and um, being a Hungarian immigrant, his his English was already terrible. But ninety five percent of the uh, the workers in the factory they were all immigrants too, so many of many of their English was as bad or worse than my dad's, and, so, and many of the Chinese women on the assembly line could barely speak English at all. So 
when I bought my first computer, when I bought my second computer, my first Windows machine, it was Windows 3.1. And uh, at the computer show, I bought a copy of Visio, which was a professional drawing program. And it was, I bought it in the bargain bin for like 20 bucks or whatever it was. This was before Mike, this was long before Microsoft bought them. And uh, it was like, it was based on those, uh, those green stencils, you know, that architects and engineers used those, oh, those yeah. kind of like plastic stencils that you would, we would use as kids and draw shapes and flow chart shapes and all kinds of stuff with that. It's based on that concept. You would just drag shapes onto the page and then you could resize them and all that kind of stuff. So um, I was already writing my dad's memos uh, for, the, for the factory. Um, I was like my dad's personal secretary. But when he saw this program that I had gotten, he said, that's really interesting. Can, can, we, can we do this memo visually? And, uh, and we did. And later on, using this very program um it's a, it's a bit of a long story but when free trade hit canada and the needle trade uh hit the needle trade very 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 hard and all sorts of companies were going bankrupt or were moving overseas and uh the owner of the the company um tasked my father with with basically saving the company so my dad uh, said well let's invest in this a quarter of a million dollar robotic cutting system from France. Let's start with that. And I'll completely reconfigure the entire factory so we can triple production. And and uh, and then we'll buy the next door uh, factory, turn that into the warehouse. So we can, because the free trade law said that you can import as much as you manufacture. So if we can like, triple our manufacturing that means we'll be able to import triple what we're importing now and when we, we put those two things together we'll be very competitive and and we'll 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 survive but in order for him to do that he had to basically re re uh, reorganize the floor plan of a 300,000 square foot factory which was still by the way operational and had to be operational you couldn't shut the plant down to do this so um i told him i said uh you get me you get me all the 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 dimensions of every machine every workstation where all the poles are where the exits are the emergency exits the windows everything you give me all the data i'll put it into visio and then together you and i can figure out where everything goes because we can do it virtually on this floor plan. Uh, I use the floor plan template from video, the Visio. I did all this when I was 14, 15 years old with my dad. And we, we together, we reorganized 300,000 square feet factory. And then he, you know, they, they, they and he, he did it and everything worked out the way it was supposed to. So, um, so we began doing this uh, visual stuff and visually visual communications in this way uh, it, long before the infographic was a thing. Like decades, decades before infographics became a 
mainstream terminology and you see them all over on the internet now but we were doing it like decades before then and um <clears throat> and a lot of what passes for so-called infographics we think is garbage anyway it's stylish but very very little of it is is what what qualifies what we call uh see visual aid what we call visual aids uh, visual aid stands for virtual interactive simulation, the universal adaptive language, and actionable intelligence discourse. We like, as you can guess, we we like having lots of stuff. Yeah. Like all esotericists, right? Like everything. Everything has a, has an exoteric level and an esoteric level. But the beauty of that is, is that when you present the exoteric level, the S, the energy, the truth, the vitality, the meaning and the purpose, the foundation, that esoteric foundation is present. It's there. And to anyone with even a little bit of consciousness, they can feel it. They can sense it. And so that's the difference between what is mundane, what is profane what is mundane and what is inspired. That's the difference between art for art's sake and high art, like pop, like art for art's sake. And then there's pop art and then there's high art. And that's the difference. High art is divinely inspired. And uh, uh, pop art is derivative schlock and art for art's sake is ego masturbation. And high art, that's art in service of the divine. That's the tugboat bringing the cargo ship into port and unloading the gifts off the uh, cargo ship. Cargo ship. That's high art. Where we, the, I love that quote from the movie Elizabeth. Man must be able to touch the divine here on earth. Okay. Yeah. That is so interesting you bring that up because, you know, when you were saying about, oh, you are saying about Gwyneth Paltrow yes. earlier, getting the Oscar. Yes. Uh, that was stolen from um, Kate Blanchett because yes, she should was. have got it for Elizabeth. Yes, and it was. I never knew, And I never knew that that was because of Harvey Weinstein's manipulations. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoyed Shakespeare in Love. I liked the movie, but I was 100% on the same page with you when Gwyneth Paltrow won Best Actress for that. I was I was livid. I was because Kate Blanchett. I fell in love with Kate Blanchett. I think a lot of people were Elizabeth. livid because I I only remember that I was only a kid. But my my mother, that's what she said. She said, "Oh, she got robbed. That was that was that's ridiculous." I think a lot of people were in that same boat because that. It's actually one of my favorite movies. Elizabeth is one of my favorite movies. Um, I agree. I agree. Not with long you. ago, not long ago, uh, we did a live stream on uh, on um, the Queen. You know, we were talking yep. about real majesty, and uh, the the film Elizabeth came up, and it came up in the context of Walsingham. You know, it was, it was played by Jeffrey Rush. Yep. And that was the first, the first role I believe. 
That's the first role I've ever I ever saw Jeffrey Rush in, in a in a uh, in a major uh, uh, film, and immediately I I knew that I knew that Jeffrey Rush would be a big player in the coming decades in in Hollywood, and I knew that Kate Blanchett would as well. That film launched two careers because both of their performances were amazing like waltzing them as the the ruthless you know hand of the queen right yeah. um uh now he's not a very likable character well you know in that sense but wise and loyal ruthless and very twisted and corrupt in his own way but but in terms of his loyalty and his service to the queen and but he says that line uh because she asks him must um oh she says what she is must i be completely isolated must i let no one touch me and he says to her I, madam, to reign supreme. <laughs> and then and then there's that beautiful scene when she comes in at the end, right? And she's all painted, right? Her face painted and her headdress, and she's just she becomes this 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 larger than life monarch, right? This 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 thing from fantasy and from from mythology and she's walking up the aisle of westminster abbey and she goes observe lord burley i am married to england but all all of that even though it's not in the movie all of that is what because what john d was her say historically john d was her sage wasn't he so that's it's it's good that they put that in the movie still that they put that esoteric element because she was most definitely under she she definitely understood the concepts because oh. of who she of who she was being taught by and who her mentor one of the mentors was well there's a lot well i mean okay so i don't know how you feel about the sequel i'm not yeah the I'm sequel not big, i'm not, not a big, big fan, fan the but they talk about more stuff in the sequel but um but there is so much more to elizabeth that could be shared for example her relationship with sir francis bacon oh and the, the, now, now that's not a that was not that's not a romantic relationship. It's just her... well, the rumor is that it's what that he might be her son. That's one of the that's that's not true. No, that I wasn't sure on that. Yeah. yeah, no, you know why that is? Because Sir Francis Bacon is is Shakespeare. Yeah, Sir Francis Bacon wrote the plays of Shakespeare. Sir Francis Bacon is actually Count Saint Germain who's been alive for 6,000 years and walking the earth and helping humanity under various different guises and various different names. So, uh, cause was uh, it the Shakespeare, what was the, Sir Francis Bacon founded a, a society, didn't he, that they allude to was involved with the Shakespeare. I can't remember what it's called. Shakespeare. It was something like the, there was, I've read somewhere about that as well, but no, it's all, yeah, I get what you, 
maybe nah. I I'm I'm not I'm not an expert on on uh, Sir Francis Bacon and and all that stuff. All I know is that Sir Francis Bacon represents one of these masters who uh, he is able to or has been in the past a has been able to um ascend to very high uh courts and and influence as the sage as as gandalf does in the lord of the rings right where gandalf uh, advises kings right uh, yeah i know what you're talking about because didn't isn't there even don't they even reckon that the comp appeared in the room where the declaration of independence was being drafted there's there's a couple of different i know manly p hall does a bit of a a a, a, a it's more it's not it's more of an essay on it it's not a book but it's an essay and he talks about the historical that he was, that he was there with the founding fathers yeah it's, yeah that was one of the one yeah it's very likely yeah i i yeah i can see that because let's face it <clears throat> nowadays everybody looks at all that symbolism in washington and everything and say well it's all masonic it's all evil right it's all this and it's all that but it wasn't that when it was america wasn't that when it was founded and and the the gifting of lady liberty right the lady liberty is the divine mother like it, i mean there is America was for the rest of the world the shining beacon of hope the new world like you know how many people flock to America to 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 uh to escape suffering and danger and persecution and like well bacon again you're talking about bacon he conceptualized America and what was it the New Atlantis. I think that's the book he wrote. I think uh, I've got it. I've got it somewhere. I think it was the New Atlantis or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was like that was one of the ins inspirations for what became America as well. Yeah. So, um, but uh, again, we can remember that the. One of the big, well, there's another thing about, you know, they talked about how um, the, some of the founding fathers were slave owners. Yep. This, this is a, a very controversial, problematic topic to, to talk about in this day and age. But the fact of the matter is that slavery in the United States emancipated, uh, you know, millions of uh, black Africans from slavery in Africa. Because, and what, when they were eventually emancipated, when slavery was abolished, the entire African-American 
population owes its existence in the United States to slavery. Had slavery not existed, then those then then all of those African Americans would still be in Africa. They wouldn't be Americans. And the, there were many founding there were many founding fathers that wanted Hamilton there's a number of it that really behind the scenes were trying to get slavery abolished even at the beginning but it never it never materialized but, but it but it needed to be it needed to be just like see the the, the what people don't appreciate or understand uh, about the evolution it's because Nobody teaches devolution. Nobody understands that devolution is a thing. Everybody thinks that only evolution exists. Nobody has a, because nobody understands, nobody has a concept of devolution. Nobody what do you mean by that? Uh, that we've, that we've de-evolved? Is that what you're... Yep. That if, look, everything in the universe works in dualities and in opposites. Everything in the universe has to balance because it's the, the nature of the universe, it's the nature of the Tao. If there is something called evolution, there must be something called devolution. There are evolving animals, there are evolving species, and there are devolving species. There are evolving humanities and there are devolving humanities. And what's more, there are evolving races and devolving races evolving uh, civilizations and devolving civilizations. After a civilization falls, the remnants of, those, of that civilization are caught up in the devolving arc and the devolving downward spiral of the, uh, the, the fall of that civilization. It has to be renewed rekindled in some way there needs to be the the evolutionary spark needs to be put back into the um uh the uh to reverse the devolutionary spiral and one way to do that is to um mix and intermix and intermingle different civilizations so the way uh so a way to understand <clears throat> a way to understand this is you know how in dog breeding that one of the problem with purebred dogs is that they're they're very prone to illness and they're very prone to genetic disease and that's because in pure breeding they've been breeding the same breeds of dogs with one another now for centuries and as a result the genetic stock is very weak the vitality the energy like the trajectory of that can't it can't continue keep going up it, it can only go down so to revitalize you the healthiest dogs are mixed breed dogs 
they're more they have they're healthier they have more vitality they have their they're more uh, they're more resilient to disease they certainly have far fewer genetic diseases sometimes they inherit the genetic diseases of their of the dogs that were mixed but the the healthiest dogs are mutts like pure mutts that are like whose parents were mutts or parents were half breeds and then the and then the 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 dog is a pure mutt you have no idea what it is that's the healthiest dog so in terms of for example uh south america when columbus and the europeans came to south america um the yes it caused a great deal of havoc for uh the natives but those natives were all remnants of fallen civilizations they had all gone back to the forest they had all given themselves back to mechanical nature they had all become tribal and and going into the downward spiral of devolution so there was there was only one hope for them and that was for them to mix with the europeans and get revitalized and re-energized by the very vibrant um energy of the europeans because the europeans were on their way up because remember the europeans were all primitive barbaric people when the romans conquered them it was after the fall of the roman empire that we then fell into the dark ages but then out of the dark ages up grew up came the renaissance but that renaissance was partly because of the crusades that took place that began in the uh, the middle ages the dark ages and the beginning of the early middle ages where you had a lot of mixing between the persians and the europeans and then you had the spice routes and all that kind of stuff but then uh, so that a lot of knowledge from the east came into europe so things like algebra and and a lot of other things that the uh, the, the persian empire had created so but all that energy and vitality and the fact that europe was on the the hadn't really had a civilization except for rome and before that the greeks so the next great civilizations were born out of that the you know you well, we call them empires the dutch empire the british empire the french empire the spanish and the portuguese empires now the spanish and the portuguese went to south america the english and the french went to north america and the problem is is that in south america there was a successful mixing of the spanish and the portuguese with the natives so now you have uh brazil is a is its own subrace the brazilians brazilians are not white brazilians are not native brazilians they speak portuguese and they're their own subrace they're the mix of the natives in that region of the uh of the south america and the portuguese that conquered them but they intermingled they mixed and they 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 produced offspring and that became it's interesting you, it's interesting you say that because they really are brazil's becoming a great power in itself as well and and so and so the same can be said for colombia the same can be said for peru for for mexico i mean this is this goes across the board in south and for the most part central america this quote experiment was successful the problem is and this is a big problem for north america to this day 
is that the French and the British were so busy killing each other and making allies with the with the the native north americans the indians and the 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 north the north american first nations were so busy allying with whichever side was the enemy of their enemy because the tribal feudal warfare in North America was nonstop, constant between the Iroquois and the Algonquin and this and that and the other. All the different nations, all the they talk about First Nations here in Canada as if it was all one big happy family. That's horseshit. That's horseshit. They were only too happy to trade with the Europeans for guns so they could be wiping each other out. And they were only too happy to ally with the French and the English to help wipe out their adversaries here in North America. It was it was nonstop bloodshed in North America for I don't know how many hundred years or 150 years. So, and then in, in in the United States was a little bit different, but again, the the there was this the early pilgrims. There was this friendship and there was this very great potential for mixing. But, but once the militarization happened and the British and the French brought their war to the Americas, um, the, that violence, that, that energy of violence and dominance and fear-based everything else, that infected and triggered already these devolving peoples who are remnants of the Olmecs and the Mississippians and the Toltecs. And these are all the native North Americans. They're all remnants of the Aztecs and the Mayans. They're already on the devolving arc. You bring war to that. And now you're just feeding the beast. So the native North Americans would not accept there was this animosity like the war that the british and the french had with each other and the natives they, they had with each other the natives and the whites had against each other it was inevitable that that would happen and so that's when you ended up with this reserve system and all this this isolationism so the two the europeans and the natives never properly mixed as they were intended to to create a new subspecies of the of the americas of the north americas in the same way that they were created in the, in the south americas and then they said well what what's the answer here what can we do well look at this horrendous slave trade that's happening in the in africa look at all those people suffering there Let's 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 bring them to the Americas. I'd probably say too in South America, one thing that they were very successful doing is the church, the Jesuits and the church was very successful at converting the native populations to Catholicism, whereas in the north, mm. none of that that none of that happened. So that's probably also yeah. another element why it was integrated. <clears throat> and. 
and the, I'll, well, we can tell you why that is. Because uh, the British had broken from the church. So the Protestant, the, the, the English Protestantism, because <clears throat> Jesuits, the Jesuits are a uh, purely Catholic phenomenon. So, so the Spanish and the Portuguese were Catholic nations. And the French were Catholic, but because in the Americas it was a war, so the, there are Jesuits in, um, and the Jesuits were marginally successful in Canada, in um, in Quebec. That's where the Jesuits are because that's where the Quebec, that's where the French are in Canada, and they were marginally successful. There are to this day there are. Um, uh, oh, sorry, you're right. I forgot to mention. Yeah. I forgot but to that's what it was. Door. But that was the influence of the Catholic Church, the British, the and and let's face it, the Brits won the war in the Americas. I mean, the French were left with a small with a small pocket in Quebec, but you know the British took the rest, right? And then of course you had the fighting with the Texans and the Mexicans and all that kind of thing in the South, and then 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 and then it was, but it was this. The problem is that North America was nonstop violence and nonstop war. And that eventually spilled over into the Civil War. Right? And this is <clears throat> America North America suffers from all this to this day. Oh, and I mean the the, the British the imperial system never stopped trying to conquer America the American project any anyway they never it, as you're saying there's that conflict was going on even after the war of independence there were still plots and attempts the war of 1812 that there was constant uh, constantly still trying to take it back over and then right. the system did take it back over through economics so yeah Well, listen, guys, uh, <laughs> it's, sure. we're getting on uh, five hours here. Um, yeah. Let's um, let's uh, call it a day. We uh, we definitely got off topic. We got off on a tangent, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, well, I did want to share this. I don't know if Dylan is still with us, but uh, he said, if you want to know about Metaverse, look up BlackRock. They own everything on this planet. And I hear where you're coming from. Um, yeah, but uh, that's, well, well, we can talk about that maybe some other time. That's not a big um, issue for me. When the time comes, BlackRock and everything they represent and all the investors they represent will be allies for us. And it's just when they real, when things get bad enough, See, desperate times call for desperate measures. And when you back a rat into a corner, you know, that there's only one thing that rat can do. And, um, and it's just going to be just like, you know, rats fleeing the Titanic or whatever. They're, it's going to be very predictable what they're going to do and what they're going to and how they're going to behave. That's the one thing about ego and the Black Lodge is that it's they're mechanical. It's mechanical nature. And you know more or less what you can expect from them. And because their number one concern is survival, and you can bank on that, and you can use that to your advantage. So it's just a matter of time 
uh, and uh, and again, putting things into the, into context of oh, are you suffering? Oh, you you worried? You worried about surviving? You're worried about this? Your existential threats and everything else? You're worried about the environment? You're worried about all these things? Well then, you realize you're handicapped, right? You realize you're working with a with a subpar operating system on a two bit eight bit computer. <laughs> why would you? Why would you? You you you're you're a juggling unicyclist, is what you are. Why would you want to? Why would you want to limit yourself to that? Why would you want to limit anybody to that? When the answers you seek, the solutions you seek, are waiting just offshore on these cargo ships. But you've got all the tugboats playing bumper boats in the harbor instead of doing what they could be doing, what they should be doing, is guiding those cargo ships into port. But if you've got all the tugboats playing bumper boats in the harbor, they can't do that. It's self-evident. You want answers? You want solutions? They're waiting. They're offshore waiting for you. Are you going to help people get their tugboats in, in, to do their job? Or aren't you? It's your skin. It's your neck. It's all of your wealth and all of your everything. It's, it's all of that's what's on the line. Right? We don't care about that. I don't care about that. You know? I don't care if you go broke. I don't care if your empire collapses, but you do. So what are you going to do? It's your choice. I could care less. But I know that I would and many other people would be much happier bringing their gifts into the world. And if that helps you preserve your empire, well, then so be it. We're happy for you. Great. You see? It's not a stretch. It's not, it's not a pitch. Right? To someone who's afraid of losing their empire and they're watching, you know, you know, global warming temperatures going up and all the rest of it and all the, all the other bad news on the, you know, and all the, somebody's watching all of that and they have so much to lose. Ah, it sells itself. Yeah. Building the ark. Building As you said, these, people, these people are all building bunkers on islands and stuff all over the world. But really light, light, yeah. But light always still does work through ego and through it always shines through light, that dark. And that's that's why I found Trump so interesting because even through all his ego, even through all of his ego and everything, and even what's going on now, you could still see how the light is still kind of working through him because it's still derailing other plots. And that's why they don't like him. That's why they hate him. That's one of the reasons they hate him so much is because he can't be controlled. He can't be put on the pure agenda, let's just say. That's very, even though he's not by any means, I'm not saying he's doing it out of, he's completely controlled by his egos. But <laughs> it seems to be in a bit of a, sometimes it seems to be in a bit of service of something else, which is Look, interesting. Um, there's something interesting about Donald Trump that uh, a lot of people don't know or don't recognize, but he grew up very close to uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. 
and um, they they're actually good friends and they actually share a lot of the same values and uh, that's maybe we'll leave that that's kind of speculation for another day yeah um, no listen thank you uh, Blake for joining us and thank you Azazel for uh, for being here and uh, and making this a lively and interesting discussion we uh, we still have people hanging on in the um, in the chat and Dylan Dylan was still here and so thank you everyone for uh, sticking out. We know we got a little bit off topic. We we spread out into different areas and so on, but at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> you have a better idea what we've been working on, where we're headed with it, why we're headed there, and um, and in the end, uh, you know. I'm not. I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, demons are our friends, but um, but everything has its place uh, under yeah. the sun, and and you know, we need to. Our adversary is not our enemy. The adversary is not our enemy. When you play chess, your opponent, you do not have any animosity toward your opponent, right? When you play chess. Even though on the board, you're ruthless to one another, right? On the board, you have to be ruthless and cutthroat. You, you show no mercy on the board. Their pieces and your pieces are, the game is the game. It is what it is. And that's the game. And you're there to win the game. But between you and your opponent, there's no animosity. There's no anger. You can be talking and laughing and joking and, right? Where we're coming from, this is, this is what it means to be beyond the Tao. The Tao is the Tao. But to beyond beyond the Tao, beyond good and evil. Good and evil has its place in the world, and it has to be what it is. It has to be that. Can't be anything else. But at the moment of death, there's if you if you visualize two lines coming together and crossing at the moment of death, when the, when the game ends, you and your opponent re reset the board together. Yeah. Maybe we are horribly and, and terribly naive. And certainly, um, there's, a, there's a part even of our, of our mind and everything that's, that's telling us that that's so ridiculous and naive. Like, like, like Blake said earlier, our, the thing about our, uh, our political thing, C-Democracy and, and C-DPC, uh, Centrist Democratic Progress Canada and how how that's 
it's it's wonderful, but it's completely naive because to do, to get any anywhere in the world in politics these days, you have to be cutthroat and this and that and the other thing. And I'm and I'm saying, you know what? <clears throat> it's just a seed that it's going to wait for the environmental circumstances and conditions to be right in order to germinate. And those conditions are coming. And as I said, like Dylan, you know, describes these despicable people, right? These black rocks, these materialists, these wealthy people that have so much to lose. When they're facing the hard truth that they're about to lose it, they will do anything to keep it. Yeah. And when that time comes, they will turn to whomever has the answers or has access to the source of the answers or can show them, you know, you know in, other, in other words, they'll be desperate. They'll be desperate. The currency that, that we're here dealing with, that we've been working on developing and, and, and gaining access to and, and, and in our own way, our entire life, uh, you know, is going to be the most valuable currency that this world has ever known, more valuable than gold or jewels or anything else, oil or anything else. We are going to usher in the real knowledge age. Up until now, it's just been the information age. But the true knowledge age will be born. And that is what we seek, self-evident experiential knowledge. That is the true knowledge age, the age of metamind, the true metaverse. This is what we're on the verge of. And this is what, you know, this nobody with no credentials and no background and no experience and no nothing and no money is here to give to the world. And guess what? It doesn't require any servers and it doesn't require you to put in your password or your credit card number. Right? And if you've ever ridden a bicycle and you know what a tugboat is, you're off to the races. You can participate in the new knowledge economy and the new, the new knowledge age. That's what we're here to give to the world. And that's what we're working on right now in this moment that we're sharing with you in little bits and pieces, little dribs and drabs. All right, Jennifer says, thank you. And uh, she also says, as always, I appreciate the words you share. Well, Jennifer, thank you for being here. We always appreciate your presence. One day, we're gonna coax you to come on the chat and uh, show us your lovely face. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and bring some much needed feminine energy into this, into this uh, uh, masculine powwow. Uh, <laughs> so does anybody have any questions or comments or anything else do you want to share before we say goodnight? Because we're past, we're past the five hour mark. I, we got we to call it a day. Yeah, no, I am. That's why I'm being very quiet. That's why I'm being very quiet. All right. Okay. 
listen thank you all for joining us uh it's been a it's been a hoot blake it's uh it made uh thank you for joining us and uh, uh making oh, it uh, uh, extra fun i don't know what time it is there for you but uh uh it's 7 a.m in the morning now so wow so, so you've been up since two yeah i work nights so i'm used to it it's fine oh okay well there you go yeah. all right okay yeah. well listen thank you all i won't drag it out any longer um thank you again hope to see you next week and uh and uh take care inverential peace have a good week everyone take care yeah take care